You are once again about to enter the world of survival horror. It's the Spencer Statement, a Resident Evil podcast where me and my friends talk about the series full of monsters. And with me again is my friends, uh, Chris, a.k.a. Jabberwocky1986. Greetings. Okay, cool. And Paul, a.k.a. Castle Rook. Hi, hi. <laughs> nice. And I'm <laughs> I'm uh, Vanessa, aka Vanessa Sketch. This is episode two, generally part two of our, our remake two discussion. Hooray! We got so there eventually. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up this time. But uh, before we get to the main topic, uh, we're just gonna go over relevant news since the last time we recorded uh there was a new resident evil 3 remake trailer uh, focusing mostly on nemesis and carlos uh we all watched it yes what do you guys think very cool i still think carlos looks like a hobo with a shotgun i still but say that's a good he's thing he's beautiful he's beautiful yes he, he's a beautiful man i'm planning on Letting my hair grow out a little bit in solidarity for Mr. Poofy McBighair there. Right on. It's like he's phoned a poodle, rescued it, and just stuck it on his head. Provide some protection. Exactly. Provide some protection, and he's saving the animals. So, I again, I don't see this as anything of a problem. He is a caring man. Exactly. But does he have the sexy accent? Well, kind of. I mean, he's he's played by the guy that did the voice for Javier in season three of the Walking Dead game. Oh, okay. Did not know that. Yep. Uh, I I knew it was kind of familiar, and then uh, found out like a couple days afterwards, and I was like, oh, that's why he sounds familiar. Well, that's cool because he was good in that. I I liked I liked his performance in it. Mm. So I think I think he'll be good. Mm-hmm. Also hitting hitting Nemesis with a car. That's that is a blast. And as <laughs> having just replayed a bit of Resident Evil Seven yesterday, um, I'm looking forward to doing that. Also, Nemesis with a flamethrower. I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah, that 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 can uh, I could take it or leave it personally. I I just don't want to be lit on fire. I'm I'm against it burn personally. Burn jelly, burn disco, and burn up. Oh, too bad she's not going to get her disco alternate costume. Back. Yeah, yeah. That isn't unless I mean, it's in the game and it's not a pre-order bonus, and so we just don't know about it yet. Yeah, I mean, we we don't know what the actual other uh, alternate costumes are yet. That could be an unlockable. Yeah, I'm just I'm just wagering that it's not going to be there, but I can't say for sure. Who knows? Mm. Don't know, but I do know that uh, I'm looking forward to running Nemesis over with a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. whether whether it's whether it's a scripted sequence or not, it's still going to feel like we're part of that. We're with Jill on that journey, which is yeah. I, I think overall, it's probably going to be more active. Mm -hmm. it, it it tries to these games tend to just try to make your choices feel more, um, I guess, baked in like things that you actively are choosing for yourself rather than just being given like. Uh, go to the left or go to the right. Right. It, it isn't like dra the, uh, what was it? Dragon's Lair. You know, those mm -hmm. old uh, FMV games. 
or like until dawn. Oh yeah, which <laughs> where, is in many where it's ways like that. literally, literally <laughs> left or right. <laughs> right, <laughs> correct. Left, correct. Live, yes. right, die. Hmm, oh, which God. choice do you go for? Mm-hmm. Most of them end up in death. I don't like this. <laughs> this is not a good weekend. <laughs> God. Oh, that's a whole. Yeah, su- that's so, a whole other subject, but yeah. yeah um, uh, so in other news, the collector's edition for Resident Evil 3 Remake was out in Europe for pre-order and promptly cool. promptly was all snapped up. Not so cool. No. Right. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I, yeah, it's a... So my understanding was that, like, the one for the U.S., which sold out in December pretty much right away, like, it was like within four days GameStop was out for the collector's edition because uh, I tried yeah. to get it and that was too late and... <laughs> ugh. But the, um, but yeah, when I, so wasn't it like in the European version, this European ver- release of it that they, or this, re- I should say the re- European pre-order for it, I think it was right. out within like 12 hours or something or like a day. Um, I thought it was like a couple of hours because I, I saw some people that were like, oh, this is already sold out and it had been announced like two hours prior or something. I oh have my no God. idea. It might've been ridiculously short like that. Either way, by the end of the day, I am... 99% sure that it was all gone. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. And and what's really sad in the situations like that is, you know, a lot of we have to figure that quite a bit of this is actually bots that are just snatching these up for uh, scalpers uh, to sell on eBay for, you know, 700 bucks. Yeah, you, no, I no. think I think the US version did end up with a lot of that already, which it is a entire bummer. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't be allowed to do that. Yeah, but that's. Well, I mean, uh, I remember when the um, pre-order for the uh, Resident Evil Two Special Edition came out, and the European version got keys. Yeah, I'm still mad mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. And I saw them on eBay within a couple of days of the pack actually coming out, and it was something like two hundred euros a key. My God. Oh my God! Oh, that's that's some gouging. That's that gouging. Two hundred for the forum, all told. That's that's the point when you're in if you're in the zombie gouge. apocalypse and you need to get the the key, you know, it's like I you have to gauge, okay, do I want to use this money that I'm not really going to need if I'm dead or do I just want to shoot this person in the face and take the key and get out of here? Option C, smash them in the face with the crowbar. Just just grab them and run away. Every time you say smash them with the crowbar, I'm just going to say I'm just going to say Half-Life 3 confirmed, man. Oh, Valve can't count to 3. <laughs> we all know Chris, this, Chris. Every time you, every time you mention Half Life, there is a small clock in the Valve offices, which resets <laughs> the release date to follow uh, ne- Half Life to never. never. It's never. It's, it's never. Never. No. It's. it's but a... that it, it does bring up that uh, the there is a difference between the European and American collector's edition that they're getting physical copies of the soundtrack for three and resistance mm-hmm. and we, we are not stuff too i'm not as mad as i was the last time when i didn't get the keys i care more about i care more about the keys still yeah i remember um i was saying to you that if i could get my hands on uh the special edition last year i would have sent you over the keys yeah and it was, it was just like... impossible to get anything yeah it's ridiculous. Now I'm going to go to Etsy and get, get different ones. Your own keys. Yeah, and they're affordable. Ha. 
and you're supporting, you know, ind independent artists. And yeah. So if Stick it to the scalpers, if you're still aching for RPD precinct keys, head on over to Etsy, check them out. Yeah, some really, Probably. really good ones out there. Yeah. Uh, also, there are rumors of a new Resident Evil game possibly coming out uh, in 2021, I guess. Or, or, or for whenever the PS5 is coming out, maybe. Yeah. It's a rumor. Yeah, I'm... I'm... It, it's a murmur rather than a rumor. Right. It's a murmur rumor. Murmur rumor. Um, but also that it's neither going to be another remake or Resident Evil 8. So oh, there goes my hopes for a new outbreak. Mystery game. Yeah, mystery game. Mystery, mystery Resident Evil. Hmm. Which one hmm. is it? Could it could it be Revelations 3? We don't know. Could, could it, it could it could it just be a fighting game where Resident Evil characters just smack each other around? I would totally don't be know. into that. I would totally be Don't into that. Steal my idea from last night. <laughs> <laughs> I said smack each other around. I don't. I don't know if that was like your. Did you want them to smack each other? Well, the death match. That's not the same thing. Mine involves yeah, way that's... less death. Yeah, it's it's beat it's, it's, up. it's it's yeah, it's a beat 'em up. Actually, okay, yeah, because that's the thing, right? It's like when we come to like fran you know, spinoffs of the franchise. I mean, we've definitely have seen people that have wanted to and have done fan made beat 'em up spinoffs. We've seen yeah. the characters in fighting games, which has been a blast, and you know the the times that they've well, the times that they've worked well. MVC two, and I felt Ultimate MVC three was very good. But yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of magic they could have with that. But yeah, it's a yeah. bummer if it's if it's not a remake. I was thinking like, gosh darn it, we don't get our high def re remake of uh, Resident <laughs> Evil Gaiden or. Uh, you were uh, never getting a remake of Gaiden. Wait, 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 I know what it's going to be. Hmm? Resident Evil Gun Survivor 3. I was also going to mention Ark Thompson Returns. Yes. <laughs> it's not a remake of, of Survivor. Yeah, probably not. No, no, it's, not it's, that, it's be not that I wouldn't take it, though. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I, I would take that. Especially, I mean, if they did a decent... You know, I think with Resident Evil 7 proving you could do the franchise well with a first-person perspective, I would totally be fine with that. Yeah, basically, as long as this whatever mystery Resident Evil game is not like Umbrella Core or Umbrella Core 2 or anything like that, as long yeah. as it's not that, I, I will I will probably be happy. It's Operation be Raccoon Royale, City 2. I would still be happier with that. I didn't hate Operation Raccoon City. It wasn't great, mm -hmm. but I didn't hate it. I had fun with it. I, I played it. Yeah, which unfortunately, trying to find a copy of that is starting to get harder nowadays. Hmm. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I was looking that up recently. That um, the used prices for that, especially because there was like a special edition that was like I think like a pre-order thing at GameStop and Best Buy, yeah. and it's yeah, gotten to the point that. where like those physical copies of that is going up to like forty bucks. I think I have a digital copy for the PS3, I want to say. Yeah, the PS3 sales often get really good. I see it drop sometimes to like nine bucks, so I'll just wait for that again and snag it. Yeah, I have it on Steam. Kind of hoping mm. it becomes backwards compatible with like the uh, with 4 and uh, the Xbox One so I could get it for yeah. Xbox. Yeah, I'm, and there's a lot of people talking about that, and I'm I'm still so skeptical. I just, I've... I've been burned, man. I just, I don't know. I don't like to be too cynical about it, but it's just, man, when it comes to rumors like that, it's like, oh, this would be so nice and cool. And then 
It doesn't happen. Oh, I, oh, I don't know if it's a rumor. I'm just saying I would like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. That, just, that's, been, that's what I wish would happen. Agreed. Yes. I, I just, I've seen a lot of rumor mill talk about, oh, the PS5 is going to be backward compatible with the entire PlayStation line from one to five. And oh. I really hope so. I, I don't know, but I really hope so. Mm -hmm. But that is, again, a, a different topic. <laughs> right. Exactly. So uh, I think that actually wraps up uh, major news for Resident Evil right now. That's. Mm. There's not much else going on. We're all just yeah. waiting for for Resident Evil Three, mm -hmm. and and just kind of getting into like anniversaries right now. We're like you know because yes. like we're, we're recording this today on the one year anniversary of the Resident Evil Two remake, and uh, <laughs> and we also had I think was it two days ago I think was uh, Resident Evil Seven Day, and then uh, yeah, and then was Resident it, Evil was it yesterday? Maybe it was yesterday, and then Resident Evil. Two's original release was Mon Monday slash or sorry Tuesday slash Wednesday I think. Right, right. That was yeah because I, I drew a picture that day. That's right. That's <laughs> uh, yes, that was fun. Oh, that was great. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. Uh, Le Leon's very happy when he has two defensive knives. <laughs> I gotta say, this is pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> uh that one is that that is great. Um, so yeah, we. Sorry, we're go ahead. 60, we're actually just about 68 days away from Resident Evil 3. Woohoo! Nice. Counting them and down. Counting them down. And yeah, getting close to Kovronica's anniversary, 20, 20th anniversary, actually, next month. And then, oh my uh, god, old. Yeah. Nobody cares about Code Veronica. Hey, we do. Shh, we were doing a Let's Play about that. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! You, you guys are the ones that have to like keep practicing and have to like. I'm going to be practicing after we're done recording this podcast today. Oh, you're you're just gonna you're gonna keep playing Code Veronica for the rest of your life. It seems it's, like uh, it's my fucking boulder. I got to get up a goddamn yeah. wall, isn't it? Sorry, just punch it. <laughs> I'm not it's that the Redfield Chris, okay? way. I, I'm not a Redfield. I'm sorry. Oh, and you call yourself a Chris. Fine, I'll call myself a Jabberwocky <laughs> instead. How about that? Fine, loophole it. <laughs> Fine, I'll get the Vorpal sword. <laughs> wow, that was a that was uh, a nice pull there. That was good. Yeah, no, I I I got that one. Nice. That's that's good. Um, anyway, so that's that's the news. Yeah. Yep, that is the news. So we're going to move on to the main topic, which is continuing with our talk about Resident Evil Two, the remake anniversary hooray uh, more specifically getting into topics of uh, comparisons for characters from the original to the remake and just kind of starting off with that and uh, you know we'll go on from there because there's a through line of these characters that is kept consistent between the original and the remake but I feel like the remake at least in in most ways fleshed people out more it it took them and like expanded upon them. Yeah, it built mm -hmm. on the foundations and expanded on their character. Really, that's all. That's all I can add. Really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, people people talk about Leon being you know way too gullible in the remake, or like I think he's still way more gullible in the original. Oh yeah, no, totally. It because as we were, I think we were commenting about this. It felt more like Leon yeah. was gullible because of his sort of the inexperience and his the way he was trained. Because of like and can how, I just uh, point 
He's can a I boy. Just out, yeah, but can I just point out that Leon is a rookie police officer in a situation he has no training for. Mm-hmm. He's adapting everything he knows to the situation. So it's not a case of Leon is gullible. It's a case of Leon is following his training. So if somebody says they're from the FBI, yeah. he's going to acknowledge that and he's going to follow their lead because that's the hierarchy. Exactly. It's at yeah, least a, a more believable cover story for him to like yeah. follow along think, with like, oh, okay. Yeah. That... And I mean, like, if you actually think about it, at this stage, Leon has just gone through the RPD. He's seen numerous police officers attack him as they're undead. He's seen the only superior officer he's met become severely ill and possibly die, turn into a zombie, trying to attack him. So I think he's going to latch on to anyone in a position of authority because he's got something to do. Oh no, it's it's the adult thing. It's like, oh no, I need to find an adult. Oh no, wait, I'm the adult. Oh god, oh, no. what do? I oh, need no. somebody who's better at adult than the I need more of an adult and then Ada shows up and it's like, "Oh, thank god, someone who's more of an adult than I am." Right. Oh, thank yeah. god. Um, what I was also going to I was just real quickly, I was just going to point out in addition to what you were saying, Paul, is that you also just came off of the Birkin fight. So he also just encountered something that is way beyond his comprehension at this point. Yeah. It's like, I don't even know what the fuck I just looked at. Right, right. I mean, considering what he's up against, Leon, in both versions, handles things extremely well. I mean, oh, that's the training coming to the fore. Exactly. Yeah. So, man, whatever and, academy he went to, they did a pretty decent job of training somebody to stay level-headed in the middle of a complete apocalyptic disaster. <laughs> but... Do you know what? That, that's kind of the thing as well, because I know there's a lot of stuff about the police at the moment, but traditionally, they're going to be first responders. So they're going to have to be the ones calm in an accident. They're going to have to be the ones keeping everything under control so it doesn't get worse. So it if they're, make sense. If they're doing their job the way that they're supposed to. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. It's the, it's the ideal they live up to, which is kind of the... Yeah. yeah which, which is that... And not a topic we should get into here. Yeah, right. I mean Leon. Leon's a fictional cop, so yeah, right. And, and he's I gonna also, he's gonna live up to it. But I mean, like at the end of the day, Leon is doing his job. He's being calm. He's being collected. He's keeping level-headed in a situation that could quite easily get very horrific for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, later on, RE six does talk about him really having internally a lot of trouble dealing with what happened in Raccoon City, but that he he just soldiered on and continued because he knew that Claire and Sherry were depending on him. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and, and there's, I was also good to say, I mean, that's a lot of like what you hear about the stories of people in survival situations in war, especially those who've been trained to deal with that, like firefighters and soldiers is that, it's like you have to stay cool in the moment and then because you know that with all that stress you you have to eventually break but that breaking point comes later and like you do that when it's over and a lot of you know things elements about adrenaline and and especially like trauma research talks about this too you know where there's they especially for people with therapy issues that you know you have to go through you know but anyway it's uh fight flight or freeze there you go exactly the the three the three settings and um 
Yeah. I do have a point, actually, about Leon's idealism that also connects with him and Claire and how the characters evolved. So just making sure I'm bringing yeah. that up so that we can get back to... No, no, go, back... go for it. Okay. So the thing that I thought was kind of cool in the evolution that they... Or I guess how they evolved the represent, uh, the uh, this iteration and the remake of Leon and Claire is that Leon definitely has this idealism that gets kind of pushed into a point of where he kind of has to wise up about the Ada situation. And what I, what it makes me feel is that Leon definitely has more of an arc in the story. Um, mm -hmm. And then alternatively, what's kind of cool. I felt also about Claire is that it, to me, at least it seemed to be more about showing her resolve through the ordeal. So like we watch Leon react to the situation and come out stronger and perhaps a little more bitter and kind of like, he doesn't know conflicted, I guess about like, you know, being more used genius. by Ada. Right. But whereas Claire, on the other hand, just kind of has to steal herself against the onslaught of like these two psychopaths in the form of irons and to, to a degree Annette and then this inhuman monster and just trying to save Sherry. So it's like they both have their missions, but I like that there's also kind of this clear difference between the two so that they're yeah. also that they it doesn't just feel like, OK, this is character A and the only real difference is these characters that they encounter and that is kind of more of a love story. And this is character B and they're just like a, you know, a Ripley you know, surrogate, you know, character for this aliens ripoff, basically. But there's um, a perfect moment that kind of sums up the two approaches. And it's the uh, walkway fight with Birkin towards the yep. end of the game. Yep, the G3 mm. fight. Yep. So Annette lowers Leon into the fight and he's going, what the hell? Whereas mm. Claire is the one that initiates the uh, walkway dropping down and jumps in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, by that point, you know that nothing is going to stop this young woman from saving that girl, and she is going to tear this thing apart to do so. Exactly. Yeah, like Claire's whole point is, I care, because I yes. care. Whereas Leon's entire point is, I'm going to stop this thing, but because I'm being forced into it. Whereas Claire's point is, I'm going to tear this thing apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also uh, reflects their their relationship with Annette because Claire obviously works more alongside Annette and gets Annette to do the right thing by by Sherry, whereas like Annette with Leon is more antagonistic because he's with Ada, who's an overt threat to Annette and and the G virus, and he's and, also and, a cop, and he's also a cop, and she's. She's working for Umbrella. Like, he's not on the take. So, what do I do? <laughs> what right. do I do about this? Mm -hmm. But also that, like, Annette's main goal in in two is, at least in the remake, is G virus not getting out. It's not. It's not leaving here. It's not going to infect the rest of the world. I'm not going to let it. Even if even if my entire family dies, I'm not letting this out. Mm -hmm. Which and, and, sorry, go on. And, and that, like with Leon, it's she knows that that this no matter what this cop's been doing a good job of, of surviving, so he has a much better chance stopping William than she does at this point. Whereas I think Claire kind of actually calls her out on yeah. the attitude and just says, mm -hmm. "Be a better mother." Yeah, like they they both call out Annette for different uh, reasons. Right, but like, it's Claire's that takes uh, takes hold. Yeah, it kind of makes me think a little bit. Uh, we were saying about how 
it, it's a bummer that the second scenario, the second run, doesn't have that kind of equal narrative depth because it would have yeah. been interesting to actually have and getting to actually see a bit of Annette sort of getting hit by that one-two punch of the accusations from Leon and the accusations from Claire and actually figure out like how can you actually make have her make different decisions based on a Claire A, Leon B, or a, Claire, a Leon A, Claire B um, scenario based on when those things happened to her. That could have been yeah. very interesting to examine. But I mean, it also is incredibly all, complicated all to figure out. Yeah, but I mean, like, narratively, I think all you would have need, needed to do is just not not have her get crushed by William in one of the scenarios. Hmm. Yeah, have him slash her instead. Or, or just, like, it, it just, you know, it doesn't... Uh, I'm guessing, like, if you wanted to make it work, you could probably have her get thrown by William in the first place, and then she just goes and dies after saving Sherry. And that's, like, her actual death. Yeah, yeah. that seems the much more canonical way to get the most dramatic and narrative kind of impact. When she shoots Ada, I guess the problem is that, like, the timeline doesn't really match, and, like, how is she going to get back over there? Yeah. Or, no, wait, it, it, is, or wait, did she go over there and cure Sherry and die and then wake up and then come back and then <laughs> and then shoot Ada and then have the bridge collapse and then die again? I don't know. It's really And confusing. that's unique that she's got two lives. <laughs> yeah. She's losing them in the space of ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a real bummer because that does make... It makes uh, storytelling more difficult in this in this case and... Also because the, the arcs are pretty strong for these characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're and right. that, I mean, that muddles it. It would make yep. far more sense for Annette to have this arc where when you're playing as Leon, she does stop Ada from stealing the sample at the cost of her own life. And that should be her arc for that story. But her canonical arc should be the fact that her actions have put Sherry into danger, threatening her own life, and it's the realization of what she's done has driven Annette to give up her own life to save her daughter. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. At the very Whereas, least, you know, as as it is now, I mean, we all we can do is just bemoan that Annette didn't enter the Konami code and get more <laughs> lives. Bloop, bloop. I, I do kind of miss that uh, since they were sort of combining the scenarios that we, we didn't get the scene uh, in Claire B where uh, she runs into Leon after he got shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I really w- I was really hoping that this would be in because, I, again, I still feel that Claire and Leon, whenever they get to interact with each other, I, I love it. And mm-hmm. they have a lot of genuine chemistry with each other. Yeah, it's. It's that kind of friendship that kind of comes about from being in a hostile situation with someone and kind of realizing neither of them are going to let the other one down. Right. Yeah. There's it's, an instant it, layer of trust. Yeah, it's it's the uh, it's bonding with your coworkers when you work retail. <laughs> You're both in, in the trenches together. So exactly. It's like, don't worry, I, I got I, I, I got front lanes. I, I I'll take care of this customer. <laughs> I got it. I, I would have loved to have that interaction. And he, he, she's like, oh, oh, holy shit, Leon, what happened to you? And he's like, I got shot by a scientist. <laughs> but but also, could you could you keep an eye out for Ada? Because I think she ran off and I'm kind of worried, but I also need to go to sleep for a little while. I'm just going to take a quick nap. Okay, Claire, thank you. 
Right. But I mean, like you, you also have the interaction then from the other side where Leon's next to Sherry after she's been infected. <laughs> yeah. And Leon yeah. just kind of says, what happened to you? Right. And Sherry's just kind of like, my dad infected me with a virus. What happened to you? And Leon's just kind of like, nothing. Uh, I got shot with a bullet. Your mom shot me. My my mom shot you? <laughs> wow, she has been busy. Yeah, she has been busy. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think we're kind of uh, uh, lingering a little bit on Leon. So who's next? Uh, I think that would actually go into Claire. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're going down the the main character list here. Yeah. Um, does anybody else have thoughts? Because I, I don't have a lot of notes written down for her just yet. Well, I think... Well, um, sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. No, 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 no you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, please. That's glorious. Please do, like, glorious. <laughs> no, no, after you. No, I insist ladies first. Damn it. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, I, I think that her... Her personality in, in the remake is is actually even more active than it was in the original. And they, they really did kind of use it as like a, a jumping off point for her as like, we're going to build on, on this aspect of her character and, and expand on it. And Claire is just like, you know, fucking fearless. Like yeah. You can tell she's yeah. afraid of, of, of what is happening, but at the same time, she, she is always constantly going like, okay, I'm afraid, but fuck this. I'm getting it done. Well, that's true bravery as well. Mm. That's that's courage yep. to be afraid, yep. but still go forward. Yeah. What is it? Uh, it's that old quote. Uh, courage is being scared to death, but putting on your boots and getting on the horse anyway. Yeah. But I mean, like, it marks her as Chris Redfield's uh, sister. I was just about to yeah. point that out. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. She is the do- she's the sister of a guy who's in the Air Force. Who's had to go through a traumatic experience of losing her parents at a young age. She's mm-hmm. got a certain steel in her. And the whole point of Resident Evil 2, the remake, is that the seal's there. What she's going through is the crucible that hardens it and makes her much more formidable. I mean, part of um, the reason why I was never a big fan of original Claire I, I, is the fact that she never seems to have to re- repeat what I was saying, that bit of steel in her, it's always kind of like edging on afraid to kind of starting to panic. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Like, if, if you ever hear her sometimes. Hmm. No, I mean, her... she is she is a 19-year-old who is definitely oh, yeah. in over her head and and possibly still, you know, less equipped for the situation than then say Leon, who is, you know, a trained law enforcement guy. So yeah. like her 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 training's informal and oh, yeah. But Claire's never gonna be a victim. I'm sure her parents and yeah. her brother would have me would have seen to that, especially because she is a college student, so Chris would have definitely trained her to look after herself to a degree. I think that shows more in the yeah. remake. Well, in the remake, she also has that tiny little gun for self-defense. Oh, yeah. No, she she carries a, a 9mm revolver with her. Oh, that still weirds me out. Revolvers don't typically come in 9mm. They do, mm-hmm. but it's it's really, it's 38. It's a rare. It's a rare. Yeah. Claire's yeah. unique. 
and it's also just guns and Resident Evil are weird. It's I won't get into this. That's a whole other conversation. That's, that is a yeah, yeah. that's a different well, topic altogether. It marks as well though that the Redfields and the Burtons are quite closely connected. So I could actually imagine Barry giving her that revolver when she was going to university. Oh God, I totally could too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd love I could, to see I could that. Buy that. Yeah, well, and and that was actually one th- that brings up, you know, then how Claire's relationship with Moira in Revelations Two is there, you know, and how there is obviously she's been yeah. around the family. That actually makes me wonder, as well, how much of the what they were able to do with this remake version of Claire is definitely informed by the evolution of the character through Co Veronica, Revelations Two, and even with the movie with the uh, mm-hmm. degeneration as well. That you basically, yeah. you kind yeah. of see that elements sort of be refined. And so now they get to come back. It's like, okay, let's, it's kind of like when you do a better prequel or like a re you know, I guess in my ways, a remake, you know, of like, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to refine this aspect of the story and this aspect of the character. Yeah. It's like having the hindsight of knowing where the character goes, uh, can help you distill this, this arc in the remake to, to really, uh, help you remember where the character goes, even if you never get a remake of any other, game that she's in yeah i want a code veronica remake yes she is an underutilized character to a degree yeah but i think that kind of makes sense as well because she's not a police officer she's not in the military she works for an ngo Mm. or she has yeah that's right yeah she's worked for two two different ngos right if we're going by the cgi movies if i recall uh yeah she worked for uh terror is, isn't it just TerraSave? Oh, TerraSave was is. the same? Okay, never yeah. mind. My bad. I, I I still have some gaps in my knowledge of that era of Resident Evil. <laughs> but I mean, like, she's not the kind... She shouldn't be the kind of person that goes charging into a building that's on fire, but she is. Because mm-hmm. there is someone there who needs her help, and that speaks a lot about Claire, but it's kind of hard to put her into that situation all the time. Yeah. Whereas with Chris, because he is, because he was a member of Stars, because he was part of the un- anti-umbrella task force, and an agent for the BSAA, he's going to be sent to these hot zones repeatedly. So it makes sense for him to be one of the more used characters. In some respects, it when it comes yeah. to character use, I think there's a. That gets into kind of an interesting thing about the series and how it uses the char- its characters and how I think the Resident Evil 2 remake does something kind of cool about bringing it back to that more grounded um, survivor, you know, element and that there is definitely an aspect of training and, and about, as we're saying, like this kind of the natural innateness of their survival instincts or, you know, the, the apocalypse bringing out their inner self, you know. But when it comes to the – I noticed with the franchise, it's, it's kind of like with um, – I liken it a bit to like how Godzilla movies choose their monsters. This is a very quick tangent, I swear to God. Uh, <laughs> but it's that in the res- in the Godzilla movies, even when the idea is better to have a different monster, they will always say, no, we just got to have Mothra or King Ghidorah because they're more popular. And that's just entirely what mm-hmm. it comes down to. Because um, GMK was not going to be Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah. The M and K were completely different creatures. Um from elsewhere in the franchise and the the director was not allowed to do that because they said no it's going to be what sells the movie and I, I i think it was maybe better for that but that's the point though is i think with <laughs> keeping chris in the franchise is is uh and the characters from the old classic resident evils i think a lot of it is about understanding the fan base and trying to keep people involved in it by taking these characters and doing new things with them um but 
definitely more, I think, from this aspect of who would the players want to play as again? And yeah. Chris, is, Chris is one that becomes very popular. Jill's one that becomes very popular. And Claire's one that becomes very popular as well. Yeah, but I think the core of Claire's arc in the remake, though, is she is a badass. It's just refining that badassness mm. by taking away some of that innocence. Yeah, I mean, so to speak. I guess what uh, to piggyback off what you're saying as well is to say that it's kind of like where she starts as someone who is really good in a bar fight, for instance, or really good in like helping someone through like a domestic violence situation. And at the end, she is this gun-toting flame, you know, she uses, not flamethrower, but sorry, the spark shot, you know, grenade launcher. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, she is using hardcore military weaponry and taking on monsters that are like twice to three times her size. And jumping in to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's and I, and that's kind of I think what's kind of nice about yeah. that is that in movies, we have this tendency to make our character arcs really um, broad, where is to say that, like, well, they have to clearly in the first act say that that's not who they are or they have to make it clear that that's not who they are. And then it has to change at the very end. I think what's kind of cool is the it's Claire is still in many ways the same person at the start and the finish of Resident Evil 2 remake. It's just that yeah. the scope of which she's capable of doing it has increased and it has increased. Like she was always capable of looking after herself, as you've said. I mean, she carries a revolver for self-defense. It's it's not a case of I would never use a gun. It's I'm gonna use a gun straight away. Because if the situation calls for it. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's an effective form of defense for her. Mm -hmm. So, like I said. Claire's arc was very much being the badass, but refining it to that point and mm -hmm. distilling it to where she's much stronger for the experience. That's a good point. Yeah, and, and like, it, and, and compared to the original, it's it's a similar arc, but it's it's just, uh, I guess, more pronounced in a way. Well, you're talking as well, like 20 years writing experience and yeah, yeah. script experience. I mean, also the, the 20 years, it's, I guess what I like about it is that it's, it feels like the same arc, but it gets to be expanded upon because now we get more dialogue. We get more interaction and, and her relationship with Sherry becomes more, uh, actually more sisterly. Yeah, because, I really like because, that. She doesn't slip into yeah. the maternal aspect. She she slips into the big sister because yeah. she know she that's what her experience is to have an older sibling, not a parent, but an older sibling looking after her. I was thinking about that yeah. too when when it got brought up be her being sisterly. It's like, "Oh right, because that's that's probably what Chris, you know, very much what Chris was like, you know, raising her, you know, having to well, take look after her." I don't think he was doing braids, but he was looking after her. And and I like I, I like that they get to have more uh bonding experience and more bonding time overall i still think because yeah. like they get more dialogue between the two of them is like just you know conversational like uh the, the whole thing about like both of their their dads being dead or <laughs> gone gone yeah oh, by the end of the game all their parents <laughs> being dead yeah 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 Ugh. they're like batman <laughs> hey claire i'm like batman so am i yay but like it's also really great because it it feels very natural and it feels like what the original was going for at least in terms of like uh, character interaction 
It's like, th- this is how you you wanted us to feel about these characters. But I think so there's Sherry, wonderful Sherry's not sitting every, like, five feet. <laughs> <laughs> God, Although, God, kid. Um, there is a wonderful point, though, where it's just after Claire has met Sherry and they're climbing into the uh, parking lot. And straight away, yes, Claire says that her parents are dead and Sherry says, I'm sorry. And Claire, Claire's first instinct is to comfort her, saying, it's okay. It just means we have something in common now. Right. She's, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I she's love not that talking down. She's not talking down to Sherry. She's bringing her up to her own level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, it's a, it's yeah. A, yeah, exactly. It's picking up. It's a pick, it's a pick yeah. me up. Yeah. It's a and, saying. And when, of, it, and when it goes to like opening the garage, she asks Sherry to try to help her move the grate up. Mm-hmm. She wants Sherry to be involved. I mean, yeah. you think about it. This is a kid who's been stuck in a hellhole for several days. Mm-hmm. And survived. And, and here's someone mm-hmm. who's saying to her right now, I need your help. She's bringing Sherry up to her level. Not as a child, but someone who can look after herself and someone who can be depended upon. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. definitely comes back to, I think... Because we've always have known since the beginning was that Resident Evil 2's original uh, inspiration for that was um, was Newt, Newt and Ripley and yeah. Aliens. And what's kind of cool is, again, you know, as we're saying, this also reaffirms that same homage, but it, it illustrates it in this really kind of very emotional sort of way. Whereas in Aliens, everything's kind of always panicked and tense and everything because, you know, that was the, the tone of that movie. And here, what's kind of cool is by having that extra time for Claire to get bonded to it. It's, you know, it's, that is our respite, you know, rather than an aspect of extra tension or possibility for escape. It's more about allowing the characters to bond. And I think that's, yeah. that was really special. I think that kind of leads into the next point uh, for our character growth being Sherry. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking that too. It, 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 it uh, segues right into Sherry actually so incredibly think- well. So I think before we start um, with Sherry, we'll just say that um, from my experience, one aspect I always hated about the original Resident Evil 2 and why I never really played Claire scenario was Sherry's segments, which were oh, yeah. not hard, but just tedious. I'd almost say, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, tedious, because they weren't difficult. They were just boring because... It's literally one section where Sherry gets pushed through a vent and has to avoid three zombie dogs to hit a switch. Oh, God. It's pushing pushing those boxes. Right. Whereas, yeah. Whereas now in the remake, obviously, it's actually one of the scariest sections in the game and it really ramps up the helplessness this kid has, which works wonderfully for her. And and it is awesome in surround sound, by the way. There's a lot of really good Ooh. subtle that's kind of Resident Evil 7 style touches that they kind of use some of the similar sound engine where there's just like little right. sounds of stuff falling in the back. It's just wonderful. Yeah, the game definitely does that. And I would recommend playing with headphones if you can, yeah. <laughs> because it's 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 amazing. But also that like at least um, in the remake, even if you don't like Sherry's segment as much, you can easily, once you know the pattern, get through it and finish it. And it's, I guess, uh, a little easier to repeat than than dodging the dogs oh, in the yeah. original. Although, I mean, I would 
I dislike going through the the tunnel more, the one that has all of the roaches in it. I was about to say, yeah, the roaches part, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I've I've died. I think I've died about five or six times to that. Yeah, because there's no way to heal yourself. Yeah, there's no way really to heal yourself because I I think you might it's, get an... it's instant death if you yeah get that's hit the main by thing. like five of them at once. I yep. think. Yeah, that's the thing. It's either they I, do I nothing. Yeah. It's, but hey, Tom. In, in the remake, they do make you realize Sherry is a young girl. She's on her own. She knows that there's something after her. She can't find her mother. And there is a monster chasing her. And I don't mean her father. Nah. Yeah. But I'm... And it's... The fact that she hasn't broken down into a ball crying somewhere... Mm. Kind of speaks that this is actually one of the bravest characters in the franchise, and, and I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, she's incredibly strong. She ha- she will never break. I mean that 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 still also goes for the original because even with all the stuff that's going on in in the story, no matter which version, Sherry never really breaks. Yeah, she she doesn't have a breakdown. She's always able to push forward. I was I was going to say there is the moment where she starts to break down and cry, but it's only at a certain. Yeah. It's also though after she's gone through so much, it's like kid, Philia, you, you be, yeah. would yeah. probably be in the same place at that point. I mean, yeah. it's natural for her at that point. But um, there is one thing I kind of missed with um, remake is in the original, if you're walking along with Sherry and you stopped, occasionally Sherry would come up and grab your hand. Grab your hand. Yep, I, I spotted yes, that. Yes, I love. Oh, I always loved that, that little thing. That was such a cute touch. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of those little animation uh, touches that you got in the original Resident Evils. Like I always loved it in Resident Evil One when, when you were in the firing stance, and the character started to move, their um, forward leg was actually moving, moving and rotating. Yeah, as they're moving, spinning around. So it's, it's a little animation touch, but it adds so much to Sherry's character. Yeah, she's a kid, yeah. and she wants human... Connection, yeah. Yeah, a c- human connection. Yeah, she wants she wants someone to care. Because she she's always trying to get her parents to do it, but they just kind of don't. Or with Annette, it's hard to show it. I mean, it's not a case that her parents don't love her. It's quite obvious that they do adore her. It's just how they've actually shown it is not the best example. I mean, William's they're... debatable. I have I, I I got nothing on him. Yeah, I, I would kind of say William's last act as man is to save Sherry from tyrant. That's true. Yeah, that's what it feels like as well. Because because th- at that point you start to see his face transform, falling his original yeah. human face falling in right after that. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. not. It's probably not even a conscious effort from William. It's just probably the last instinct of a father yeah. to protect his young. Right, I right. I like agreed. the I like also the ambigu- ambiguity of the moment where you could also interpret it as. I I think he already had infected her at that point, and it's, yeah, I thought so too. It's doubly protecting my offspring. Yeah, Twice just over. not 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 yeah. her. Yeah, I'm protecting the grandkid, yeah. not the kid. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh God! Oh God! Why did you have yeah. to phrase it like that? Sorry. Yeah. Why? Why? Why did you? Why did you have to do that? Uh, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not going to dwell on it. But it, and, and the ambiguity of the moment, I, I thought was was really good because yeah, it's it is the last vestiges of of Birkin's uh, relative I, humanity. There's I no mean, doubt that Sherry's parents loved her, but I think it was always a very distant second to the research. Yeah, I think William has a very difficult time. Um, with that i mean if you look at their their family photo oh yeah oh yeah every family photo they've ever done Birkin looks like he's like barely there like i was required by law to do this (laughs) (laughs) but i think as well like from what we see of william it's always in a high stress situation so he's not acting at his best but i've always suspected that william was possibly somewhere on the spectrum hmm oh yeah probably oh i would suspect so yeah. Yeah. But it's it yeah. also has a a rivalry with a ten year old. <laughs> oh god. The, the uh, funniest the funniest thing. Well like the only thing you can really glean from William Burke and uh at least in like the um overall regular canon, uh, is that he he took a lot of pride on being a, a child prodigy and could not stand that there was another child prodigy that was younger and cuter and smarter than him. But as well as that, there must have been some sort of connection because he's the best friend of one of the series' biggest sociopaths. That's that's his fault. There are two jerks that are, are jerking yeah. together. Oh, uh, phrasing. That just wrong. <laughs> I'm uh, so sorry. I'm so sorry. This is revenge for Chris bringing up the yeah. uh, grandkid, isn't it? Great. Well, yeah. We're, even, we're yep. even now, aren't we? You yes. do realize I'm going to have to drop some sort of brain bleach nuke on YouTube for some <laughs> no, now. No. We, we, yeah, we've got it. We have at least 30 no, minutes I... left in this. You got time. Oh, that goddamn escalation. I've ruined it. Oh man, um, if, I wanted to yeah, get back on track because there was there was one there was one thing about Cherry I wanted to bring up before we get to uh, off on the Birkin path, um, one of the, or the William path I should say, um, but the the thing I she, she is correct right. I really loved in the remake version of Sherry that she captured what I remember kind of that sort of that mental state of being kind of a neglected kid, like my mm. my parents you know love me. Kid. I mean, my parents love me. Don't get me wrong. Like this is, I mean, Vanessa can knows for sure because she's she's met them, and they're you yes. know they're really sweet people. And it just was a case of that. My mom was really sick when I was around the age when I was actually interestingly around the age that I was at Cherry's age, around twelve. Um, and my dad was really busy with work because you know he gets overworked terribly by the job that he does, and as a systems administrator kind of guy, and. What I think is kind of cool about the maturity that Sherry shows in the remake, especially compared to the original, is that even though the original, she definitely is very capable. She's shown to be a survivor and to be capable in those situations. Um, One of the things I love about Sherry in the remake is that when you're alone a lot, you kind of have to, you have a lot of time to think and you have to have a lot of time of relying on yourself. And that's really what I felt was captured. And one of the reasons why she had been doing such a good job staying alive on her own through much, much of the remakes events is that she has that neglected, you know, latchkey kid sort of mentality. And, um, 
further, I thought what was kind of, uh, I actually had another thought that suddenly got buried while I was trying to word that shit. Um, I'm going to try to find this. Focus. Uh, her, uh, uh, no, uh, I got it. Sorry, I got uh, it. Okay. Uh, the segment of her running from irons gives her a wonderful sequence of agency that she's smart enough to get to sneak around, get the key, lock the door behind her to, so that he has to end up getting the axe and chopping through the door. And yeah. it's it's her effort is incredibly valiant. And I absolutely adore that because I, yeah. I've always loved seeing I've loved seeing a- and throwing the, be, yeah, and the acid. And throwing yes. the acid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's got an amazing presence of mind to realize he's coming at her. Throw something, even if mm-hmm. anything. So I mean, like, there are kids who would have frozen at that point, mm-hmm. and she didn't. Yeah, uh, she did so not. She well, is I mean, a born also, survivor. Like, Annette is, you know, admonishing her in the sewer, saying like, you know, why didn't you just call the police? Like we told you, we taught you about this, and she goes, I did do that. Nobody came, so it was like Sherry followed all the stuff that her parents taught her about how to deal with things, and then when that didn't work out, she took herself to the police station to try to find her mom. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. That speaks more about Annette's. I wouldn't say incompetence, but kind of lack of perspective. Yeah, it it, it is it is part of Annette's. not not entirely grasping uh, how the situation has affected people, I guess, yeah. in a certain way. Yeah, well, she, mean, like, she's still she's still trying to contain it. I mean, like, she's been in the sewers presumably for a week. She probably has yeah. not been to the surface, so she doesn't know how bad it is. And it's just the idea that she's telling Sherry to call the cops. Presumably, there are more than a few who are corrupt. Right. Oh, well, she God. knows for a f- she knows for a fact who Irons is, and that yeah. knows knows yeah. Irons' deal. Yeah, and I mean, like, and I mean, in the in the original, they're in direct contact with each other. Like Annette is their uh, the go between. Yeah. Uh, William and and Irons. So it just kind of it hi- highlights that disconnect that Annette has between. The, the world she's built up in her head and the real world. Yeah, mm. I mean, it seems very likely that Annette had didn't ha- have a real grasp of how bad it had gotten up on the surface and was just mostly knowledgeable of how bad it had gotten in the sewers. Right, because that was her environment. So she couldn't yeah. see past her own environment. Yeah, she might have thought that there were still there was still more of a an infrastructure in the city in place. Yeah, but I think and she I'm, might not have been aware of it. But I think if we can sum up Sherry, okay, if we can sum up Sherry's arc in one word, how would you do it? Hmm. Hmm. Two words then, if you want. I would actually say resilience. Yeah, I was leaning towards that. I was going to say unbreakable. Hmm. Kind of. Yeah, to an extent. I mean, it's a good point because she is the one that is totally okay with like, all right, you guys are going to adopt me and we can get a puppy at the end. So she is clearly <laughs> I mean, not broken. I, yeah. I, I feel like I feel like that called into like that. Uh, yeah. You know what? Sherry's a weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most kids would say, can I have a dog? No. Can I have a cat? No. Sherry is straight into, can I have a parrot? 
<laughs> yeah. I want to. I'm, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking of the murderous toucans from Outbreak File Two now. Oh man. Also, I think she wanted to start a band. <laughs> I'm just gonna She's think like, she wants somebody piano. to talk to. Yeah. I mean, she really wants to see where Claire lives. She the wants. Very she small wants to dorm room. Yeah, I mean, she just she wants to experience, you know, Comments a relationship. Like the age of 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, she wants to experience a relationship with someone who actually is paying attention to her. Yeah, I mean, isn't like, too busy for her. This is probably the affection that Claire and, by extension, Leon Shore by the end of the game. It's probably more than she's gotten in her and her entire life i don't yeah. know about maybe the entire yeah, life I mean, but definitely the last like six or seven years though probably it's the well, most concentrated more than her half of her life at that stage <laughs> yeah but it, i guess what i mean is that like from what i've i've known of people that i've i've met who've had this kind of they've been much more in many ways much more abandoned by their parents than i you know felt neglected at times but um many of them it was pretty much once they were able to fend for themselves by about age six or seven like parents were basically just like all right cool you're good and then just walked away God. Yeah, I've, I've actually yeah. one one thing I I do miss that we don't get in the remake is uh, the interaction that you could have gotten between uh, Leon and Sherry. Yeah. If if the scenarios had connected like like in the original, you, you would have gotten Leon uh, taking Sherry to the train. Mm-hmm. And I mean, already they had done such an amazing job making the emotions so high. I mean, I felt really emotionally compromised at the end of the scene, you know, and that's a death scene um, yeah. with Sherry that, I mean, I would have loved to have seen them double down with that and see how Leon reacts to trying to, you know, interact with her and try to keep, you know, cause she's still infected. I mean, keep her awake, trying to keep her going and, you know, cause she's still. He's, he's yeah. acting as a police officer and he's protecting her. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, that's the thing that they often say they never can train you for, which is that how are you going to react in those situations when you have this little kid in your arms that you're having to carry somewhere to safety, you know, they, you're not prepared for it. Yeah. Like I'm sad that the only interaction is, is just literally like, Oh, who's this? Uh, this is Sherry. Okay. Right. <laughs> I found I a loved, kid. I would have loved a short set piece in the RPD where Leon comes across Sherry being cornered by a zombie he takes out the zombie and it's just kind of like the windows suddenly break in the room and zombies are starting to pour in leon's got to fend them off kind of a mini version of the siege scene from resident evil 4 mm. i mean not that would, too many it, zombies it, just like maybe four or five yeah four or five is a problem at that point yeah in <laughs> remake too that it's a lot it's a lot I mean, yeah like, I mean, I was thinking it, it kind of ends up like uh, the uh, no way out scenario mm-hmm. in a way. Right, right. So that that's would be kind of similar. Yeah. So that's one partner down. Um, Ada. Ada. Ada Wong. Wait. <laughs> eh? Eh? Yeah. Eh? Eh? Yeah. I saw you there. You get it. Yeah, you yeah. get it. The lady in the red dress. So this is the one I actually have notes on. Um, okay. Because because this this comes into what you know we had talked about this a while back I think in in our chat about Ada and kind of the difference. I mean, I, I was mentioning this guys before, but I I felt it was really cool with Ada Wong in the remake about how comparing it 
is the original is much more of a classic femme fatale, more very film noir coolness, you know, and and kind of seeing her in the more the Leon B scenario get kind of melted, you know, that that cool exterior melted down by the dopey rookie cop, you know, the old trope of the dangerous dame falls for the idealistic sap, you know, sort of sort of uh, ploy. Um, I thought it was really cool in the remake that they made her a lot more, they gave her a lot more distance emotionally from the people she interacts with. And it kind of made her more like a spy novel character, something that's a little more, she's using people a little more. Like it's, you know, especially for those of us that know the twist that's coming, you can really see how she's playing Leon like a cheap fiddle. And like how even the, the the kiss at the end of the original was very, it was kind of played more romantically. And here it's clearly, this is a manipulation. This is, I need you. And he needs to feel needed. And so by giving him that, that incentivizes him to go do what she wants. Um, Swooshing him will will get me ahead. But I mean, like, the biggest crack in her facade doesn't come from Leon. It comes from uh, Kendo and his daughter. Because she's seen straight away, the lies aren't going to cut it here. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, because that's then when she finally starts squawking the full, kind of more of the full story. And I think also what's interesting is if she's in this field where she's stealing viruses for these companies and, you know, doing this kind of work for hire in the arms, you know, it's it's the, this is where you get to see the effects of it on the average citizen, the average person. And we don't know what Ada's background is. We don't know what town she came from, what environment she came from. And we don't know if part of this is just that she was born into this kind of world of, this is just kind of the way the world is and you're either, you know, small fish or big fish. And she tried to become the big fish that could navigate those, the water, the murky waters of the world. And if uh, seeing Kendo and his daughter, you know, was like the reminder of who she was when she was younger. I mean, I don't know. That's a lot of conjecture, obviously, but. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't have any solid info. I don't, in this version, Ada works for Umbrella directly, I think. Or against Umbrella, I think she's just a corporate spy, a mercenary, basically. Yeah, it seems like she was much more work for hire, and it seems yeah. like less than a uh, less than a con, just a contractor, basically. Yeah, like not really working specifically for a rival. But it for sounds the like bitter. Yeah. I mean, the haunting reveal, if they decide to continue with this remake timeline, would be if she actually was working for the U.S. government, and that was why they want they were suddenly becoming aware of the virus and they wanted it for their own military purposes. Well, I mean, they the government was aware. And uh, it was buying and, the viruses. Yeah, mm. like, I, I think even in, like, Remake uh, remake 2's continuity, it's uh, William went to the U.S. military. Oh my gosh, that's right. I totally G-virus. forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, they, they basically make it clear that he he went behind Umbrella to deal with the U.S. government instead because I guess he thought Umbrella was going to push him out. That's right. And replace him with a 10-year-old. <laughs> and he's like, Probably. but she, but she, she, she blew herself up or something. I'm, yeah. I'm better. I'm but still he, alive. Yeah, but on, but on a more serious note, no matter what, Ada was always going to be a threat to the Birkins because... Yeah. If she got her hands on the G-Virus or the devil vaccine, any leverage they had with Umbrella or with the US government is completely gone. So, yes, Leon is a threat. Yes, Claire is a threat. But Ada was probably the biggest threat 
to them other than Umbrella. Yeah, because yeah, because I mean, Leon and Claire could be manipulated in their own ways and because of their own bonds and just because of the, you know, the the circumstance. They were, I guess, more familiar threats. Whereas Ada was a kind of a the the third party that's a little murky. Maybe not murkier. I guess actually, it's more it's a more direct threat. As in, there is it's more pretty ruthless. much driven. Yeah, ruthless. Yeah, she, exactly. She's there for a purpose. The exactly. other two end up in the situation because of timing. And right. Ada is there because she's working. We're talking then, I guess, about a direct antagonism then. Yeah. Yeah, she's more directly a threat because of that. Yeah. Claire and Leon are there by happenstance and misfortune. Ada is there with a purpose. Yeah. I mean, I am kind of sad that we don't get that same Resident Evil 1 connection like we, we did in the original I was kind of curious, yeah. It's very, but the FBI thing still is more believable. Right. It's a more believable cover story. Like, (laughs) I believe Leon going, oh, an FBI agent. Okay. And I mean, then a woman going, like, I'm looking for my boyfriend. Yeah, a lot of people are looking for their boyfriends, looking for their partners, their loved ones. That's, that's going to fall apart very quickly. Whereas I think any cop still in the city would kind of be more accepting of an FBI agent being there because it gives them that false sense of hope that help is coming. Right. A kind of a bigger authority than me is going to take care of the problem. Yeah, exactly. That's That was my point about Leon at the beginning in that he's reacting to his training. And I mean, like yeah. an FBI agent is going to get into more places than a cop can. Right. And he's he's very committed to justice. So it was like, oh, okay. So there is someone actually responsible. Well, then we got to fix this. Mm-hmm. So that brings up a question that I have for you guys about your perspective on this is one of the things that is interesting and the difference between the original and remake, and obviously, as I pointed out, is the... Kind of how, you know, by being more classic femme fatale that then, you know, becomes more like she warms up to the kid. Basically, it's like, you know, gosh, you know, you remind me of an innocent version of myself and a naivety. Um, yeah, I, refer, I have my note is that same. If only it could be as naive as that little bucket puppy. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that she feels more um, in the remake, she feels much more of a chaotic, neutral character. And I did feel that, you know, cutting out the John subplot, especially like we sort of lose the cover story in her line that where she kind of even says, like, I just found out that John's dead, which she kind of feels kind of feels sad about that in a way. Um, Or at the very least, like her her goals are changing at that point, because that's when Leon saves her. Um, I just thought that John is dead. Kiss me, Mr. Policeman officer. Oh, come on. I wasn't going there. Okay. (laughs) that, That was kind of that's kind of how it felt in the original. Kind of, yeah. It was, it was moving that there was. There I mean, was a, it feels more like the bond is starting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're moving on real quick. Like, <laughs> there's a morning period that's like 30 seconds long. She's like, eh, okay, yeah. well, let's John's go. Dead. Kiss yeah. me. Right, but the uh, the thing I was going to say though about um, her presence in the remake though is I was curious what you guys felt about the way they did shift the tone to be much more kind of in line with like the Leon a scenario, which was less romantic and much more of a kind of a darker betrayal story um, with regards to how Ada deals with Leon, especially at the confrontation on the bridge where she falls. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of sad that we didn't get 
the the B scenario, but I know that it, I think as a death, that one, the A scenario seems more uh, a concentrated as an arc. Like, they actually have a confrontation in that one, whereas, like, uh, Leon B, I don't think he ever actually gets to directly confront her about it. Ada, Ada so, tells yeah. him, uh, Annette tells him, and then runs off, and then Leon uh, gets cornered by Mr. X and, and Ada just, you know, shows up and, and gets slammed and then dies yeah. while smooching him. I kind so, of feel the... Sorry, go on. It, it, I, I was just saying that uh, it's... I, I completely understand why they went for Leon A because of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like, uh, Ada is such a f- uh, feature in later games featuring Leon that it would be kind of churlish to just kill her off at that stage in the remake. Yeah, I mean, I'll... it's weird it's because I always, I always thought the B scenario death was at least easier to come back from because she didn't fall down a bottomless pit. But yeah, yeah, I, I mean, don't know. Unless, maybe she's got a secret grappling hook that she picked up along the way. You know, well, she, I she, mean, she, she, she made, she met uh, Mabel Pines on the way and borrowed the grappling hook. <laughs> I, I mean, she's she's got the grappling hook in like literally everything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But to be fair, the fact that Ada has an EMF gun, her having a grappling hook doesn't seem that far out of the ordinary. Yeah, or mm. out, out of possibility. Yeah, I would say though that I think the latter half of Ada's arc in the remake is more about realizing. Leon isn't just this guy she can keep manipulating. He's sharp. And mm-hmm. I think she's not seeing him as a romantic partner, but somebody maybe worthy of respect. Hmm. Because good, he survived yeah. so much. It, it's more like um, uh, there's a novel, uh, there's a series of novels from the early 20th century called Father Brown. And he's had a repeated friendly rivalry with a professional thief called Hercule Flambeau. So I think it'd be more that kind of relationship where it's not, it it's worthiness of its respect. It's worthiness. It's seeing somebody as an equal rather than somebody you can manipulate. Yeah. I think she started working with him in the first place because she saw he was a cop who was still alive and yeah. didn't realize he was to, there but he, 10 minutes earlier yeah but it's like it's still somebody who managed to stay alive even this long in in the rpd is is something so it was like you know what maybe maybe i can get help from him it might be easier to to get to ben if if i got this cop around and then as it progresses he just continues to survive and she has to string him along because yeah that's that's her job it's it's going to be so much easier if i have help to get into the nest and i'll just deal with you know i'll just ditch him when i need to but eventually she she not just respects his capability but then starts to genuinely respect him as a human being Mm mm-hmm because it's like you're also smart enough to figure it out right yeah i mean like there's no doubt that ada 
had a degree of ability because she's managed to get into Raccoon City and survive for a period. But I think her own gaming segment shows that she really wouldn't have lasted too long without Leon. I mean, it's, her segment is one of the harder sections of the game, especially if you've been injured. And if you're playing on hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can get a little intense. So, I mean, like, she can't survive without Leon. But I it'd think... Be, it, it'd be a lot harder. Yeah. It'd be a lot harder. Without him. Yeah. And she wouldn't have necessarily the skills to survive the way he has done. I mean, a corporate spy is not somebody who's going to be trained in virtually every firearm a police precinct. They're not going to be, they're not going to have like the skill to fight someone in hand to hand or to use a baton to defend themselves. It's a different set of skills than a police officer and using Leon to augment her own skills and her own survival. That's to be expected. It's also really smart of her. Mm -hmm. Like, and this is a, a, a definite good strategy to maximize her potential of actually completing her mission exactly it's just that like at the very end she realizes you know what i i do like him enough as a person that i i don't want to kill him i don't want to have to do it right and it makes you wonder you know if if she had been able to get the sample a little sooner if she would have just found a way to just let him go and they wouldn't have even had that confrontation but yeah, no, we'll never I mean, I, I guess it, it, she used the the uh, EMF visualizer to unlock the uh, elevator. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah. And I'm I'm guessing like her her basic plan was okay. He gives me the sample. Uh, maybe we ride down the elevator together. We get to wherever the exit is. The second that his back is turned and and we're both away from the immediate danger i'm just going to be a puff of smoke so so you're we're coming back to ada wong is batman she's catwoman she's catwoman that's right sinister turn um where you know they both get out and as soon as leon's back is turned it's a gun to the back of the head and a bullet into his head you always have to go there, man. You always got to go so dark. God, I'm saying, I'm saying she she had enough genuine affection for him that she wasn't going to do it. I think yeah, so too. Yeah, but I think, but I think that's kind of like that might have been kind of a case of where she knows she's going to die. She's acknowledging him as somebody who could easily have been a peer. Whereas, I think had they both gotten out. Ada would have had the same thought and kind of realized this is somebody who could rival me. I don't want to rival. Well, that also comes back to another interesting point about the difference <laughs> in this new version of Ada. Because I, I, I see where you're going with this, but I have... This version inter- of Ada is far more ruthless. I think so. But there is... And this is the interesting thing about the remake is how it can it contrasts also with not just how Ada was in the original game, but also how Ada as a character has evolved through the series. Because... 
Ada is always in charge. She's, you know, even when she is, you know, appears to be weakened or gets defeated in some fashion, even in Resident Evil 6, with all the stuff mm-hmm. that happens in her campaign, she always has this complete cool confidence that everything's going to be cool. I got this. I mean, she's, you know, she's like a Devil May Cry character in a sense. You know, it's like even when a- she gets, even when she gets captured in Damnation, it's like, yep, this was basically something I can work with. Yeah, exactly. I, it says a lot that her campaign in Resident Evil 6, she's the only one who doesn't have a named partner. She just gets... Well, agent. Agent, agent, agent yeah. Turn. Yes, agent intern. <laughs> I, I yes, love, that's right. I love agent intern. He he just, he wants to help Miss Ada. <laughs> right. Then who wouldn't? She's awesome. She's it's, a badass. It, it's just a ridiculous headcanon, but I, I always get a lot of kick out of it. Same it's, here. Um, it's funny. But the point, the point I'm getting at, though, is that I don't honestly believe, at the very least, the original version of Ada, the original timelines version of Ada, would ever have seen Leon as anything resembling a rival. And even if he was a rival, she always knew she would beat him, and you know, she would always best him somehow, and either in in through you know her feminine wiles, or because of the fact that simply she's got the better gadgets, she has better training, you know, because she actually practices the spycraft, and that's there's a particular kind of psychological aspect to that, which Leon is just not really equipped for. He doesn't have the background for it. Ada Uh, is always confident that she can one-up him however she needs to, when she needs to. Exactly. But it kind of says a lot that in any She also has a soft spot for him. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. I think it kind of says a lot as well that anytime they do meet, Leon is able to match her move for move. I mean, look at the scene in Resident Evil 4 where... You look at it, I'm better. Do we have to? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like, I know, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they they meet again for the first time, and Leon's actually able to match her gymnastics with his own and kind of end up in a Mexican standoff situation. Really, and the it's only a, reason it's a John John Wu standoff, not a Mexican standoff. Mexican standoff is three or more parties. Okay, Mister Vedantic. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm gonna say Wesker was on her her glasses and therefore a third party. <laughs> Shit. But are you like, oh god! That, how's how's that for pedantic? Bravo! But I mean, like, yeah. good god! Oh. Anytime they actually meet, the only way Ada is actually able to get away is if Leon is distracted by something else. But she distracts him, so it's still something she initiates. Exactly. She she still has the she still has the high ground. I mean, a, current canon Ada. It is clear through like separate way stuff and and mostly RE6 that she will actually sometimes go out of her way to make sure that Leon doesn't die. Mm -hmm. Because I guess she just cares about him enough to want him to not die. But also at the same time, oh boy, if I keep him alive, then I can continue to string him along for another five years. 20 I mean, years true. by that stage. Yeah, oh, by geez, that point, yeah. yeah it's like point, 20, yeah. Year, 20 years of being strung along by Ada. But like also, it, like Six has her at, at times actually saving people. And mm-hmm. that's her own choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I always I love that. I was like, when you have somebody who's taking your face and is framing you for crime, you have to go out of your way to prove i'm not you're, terrible yeah you're, you're not an absolute douchebag you're just kind yeah, I, of a douchebag 
Right. Well, like, <laughs> I'm just I, a I'm, regular douchebag. Right. I mean, I've, I've, I basically am beginning to realize that our alignment is very like chaotic neutral in some respects. Yeah. Yeah. In many respects, but yeah, but I would, I would say toward chaotic good. Yeah, like she, she's basically chaotic neutral, then, then edges into chaotic good. And goes, God dang it. I'm not. I'm not a centrist yeah. anymore. And then, and then she has to turn back and just go back to being like chaotic neutral. She's like, "Wait a minute, I'm turning. I'm turning this helicopter around. Hang on." Whereas I think <laughs> remake Ada is certainly just full on neutral, not chaotic, not good, not lawful, anything like that. Just, I wouldn't even go for that chart. Just plain ruthless. No. Hmm. She's she's very pragmatic. Yeah. Ruthlessly pragmatic. Um I was just gonna say, speaking of the the word pragmatic, uh I also noticed still in our notes we had some other stuff we wanted to discuss. Just wanted to just check in if we we're gonna Uh yeah. Uh do you wanna go over, you know, any of the other characters? Because there's, you know, Marvin, Ben, Kendo. Mm. Gosh, so many, that's three really good choices. Um, I'm gonna let someone else choose because I just I'm afraid I'm gonna like start to gush and ramble. Oh, okay, okay. How about Paul? You pick one. Well, I was gonna say, how about we just briefly go through them because they aren't they don't actually have that much of an impact, save for Marvin, but that's they don't true. Have, so well, Kendo, Kendo, yeah. I mean that yeah. that scene. We'll, we'll each take a character. Breaks me. Okay, okay. Let's, we can do that. So, Vanessa, would you like to go first? Okay. Uh. I will go with. I'm gonna go with Ben. Damn it! <laughs> Sorry, you shouldn't have asked me. You you shouldn't have done it. You should have just should have stolen. Been you should have just stolen the character and then ran with it. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, this is gonna be great. I mean, poor Ben. And I I did bring this up the last time. The the thing that gets me is that he he only gets one scene, but he makes such such an impact in that one scene that I'm I'm always sad we don't get more of him and it it felt like another you know good uh updating of of the character as like compared to the original which I mean I still like the original Ben quite a bit because he's he, he's kind of a shit <laughs> yeah yeah Ben's always going to be a shit I, I like that I mean, I don't know why Leon in the original is so mad at him. It's like, well, who's that other dog that Ada's talking to? Who is that guy? I don't like him. Bark, bark. <laughs> bark, bark. <laughs> I love it. Bark, bark. Who is who's that rival? Bark, bark. Right. But um, but like in return, Ben is always like, well, well, I got the key right here, officer, but I'm not fucking leaving because there's monsters out there. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Uh-huh. Lock yourself in a room where the monsters can actually get to you. You can't get out, and you'll eventually starve, or more than likely, dehydrate to death. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he, he he didn't think that all of the cops were were dead at that point. He didn't actually sound surprised by that. Like Leon's like, I'm the only cop left alive in this in this building, and and Ben's like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, oh, okay. he didn't realize how badly it escalated, which means he's probably been down there yeah. for a while. Which is yeah. kind of weird because Remake Ben actually acknowledges that because he's, he's he does say, are we the only ones still alive in the building? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they they changed that up because of the uh, partly because of the irons having locked him up down there, because yeah. Uh, and can I just say because this connects to why he was caught and locked up in there this time around. I love that he's now a terrible journalist. He's a terrible ambush journalist. I mean, he's it's like, he's good at finding the information that is difficult to find, but he is a terrible interviewer. Yeah, he's the worst interviewer. I mean, I guess that's yeah. what I mean is like because it's. I mean, this is bad as like Eddie Brock's interview in the Venom movie where it's just, it's it's like, hey, I hear you into a bunch of evil shit. Do you want to care to comment on that on the air? Please tell me about your evil plans over this uh, recording device. Now speak directly into the recording device. Where exactly is your evil underground laboratory? <laughs> <laughs> and Annette's like, um, no, fuck you. I'm leaving. Hello, Annette. Um, I know you're an umbrella scientist. What monstrosities have you created in the last week? Ben, of course you know I'm an umbrella scientist. Everybody knows I'm an umbrella scientist. I don't know what else you're talking about. That's ridiculous. I am leaving now. Goodbye. You and suck. Just that, and just for that, we're not going to give you the vaccine for this year's flu. Oh, God. Uh. Well, I mean, that that year's flu was bad. It was the yeah. T-virus. It was the T-virus. Oh, God. Whoops. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's it's a, it's not a good time. No, but I mean, like, no one. There isn't really much of a change to Ben between the, the original and the remake. He is just a complete not a douchebag. Um, he, he's I, like he's valuable. It he he mm. definitely knew what the score was, and in a way seemed a bit more uh, active in the remake in like uncovering the genuine truth. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, uh, I guess originally, I feel like the only thing Ben really knew was that there was uh, the chief was taking bribes from Umbrella. Right. That's pretty much all he knew was just the corruption side. He didn't necessarily know about the the deeper conspiracy with the company. He didn't know uh, to the extent that there were actual manufactured monsters, but yeah, make Ben knows knows that Mister X exists. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, gotta say, that's still probably my favorite death scene in the whole game. As much as I love Elliot getting torn in half, my god, that yeah, uh, yeah. that that eyeball pop is so fulci, and I just fucking love that. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. So, Chris, who do you want to take? Um, oh, god. I think, oh man, I really want to take Kendo, to be perfectly frank. Um... I think, yeah, because I have one last comment about Ben, um, which is just uh, that I agree that I wish we had gotten more Ben and that we had gotten to see him more of him because he does so much with that. And the aspect, the kind of probably not canon element that he probably got some of his information, he may have gotten some of his information for the fact he was dating or knew the mayor's daughter, I thought was an interesting thing. <laughs> Who knows if, if that's like... Yeah, I, Ghost Survivors I, I is... I mean, most of Ghost Survivors I consider to be utter, just like, just have fun. Non-canon. It's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's either non-canon or like the part like based on canon that we didn't get to. I don't know. Like, I mean, they do say it's like in dawns that never that never came. So it's like it's possible that they did actually have a relationship, but that you never get to hear about it. Mm-hmm. But. It's also weird. Exactly. I don't know. I don't know. But the um 
anyway, so back to the the aspect of Kendo was um, I was to be honest blown away with what they did with the remake. I mean, we've we've discussed this a bunch when we've we've streamed this multiple times. I've gotten to the point where yeah. I don't really play through it on the stream just because I get still get kind of emotionally compromised watching that scene. Um, and it's like it's a little too it's almost a little too much, you know, when when doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what's really special though is that. In 1.5, the the character model or the character design for Ken for John Kendo or just John, we I, we don't actually know if he had a last name and last name by the time yeah. they were that late in development. Um, you know, you have that as a survivor character who's just out there, just trying to do his thing and trying to help people. And we, just, you know, there's versions of it that where he worked for Umbrella and tries to fix whatever, blah blah blah. And you have I I don't think they were the same guy though. Like I, I don't, don't think yeah. that was. I don't think that was Resident Evil 1, John. I don't think, I think so either. Always, yeah. I think it was always another guy who was named John. So then, like, the John from RE1, uh, if he had been in 1.5, would have been, like, with a different design. I, I agree. Yeah. And and part of that also is, I, I'll try not to get too sidetracked, but it's it's. I also think part of that, he would have shown up elsewhere. I don't think he would have shown up in yeah. the city. I think he would have shown up more, like, in one of the labs, like, either that or in the prison cells or something. Um but anyways, the the Kendo character in the gun shop, you know, and him being the first person, the first NPC you get to interact with in the original Resident Evil 2, I think what was, you know, he's it typically, you know, it's like, you know, freeze, who are you? You know, and racks the shotgun yeah. or the crossbow at you. And then, you know, the, he's a very, he's a cocky all-American, I got all my guns, even though all the guns are probably locked up somewhere or if somebody's ransacked the place because the whole place is empty. Uh, that always frustrated me as a kid is like, ah, damn it, I didn't get there soon enough. I want uh, all of these guns. Weapons. Weapons. Yeah. Yep. I yeah, mean, cause... I mean, I think that the general canon is that um, Kendo had been giving out his weaponry throughout the the entire situation. I would not be surprised. Yeah, because he seems like the, especially this remake version of him seems like the person who would do that is like, you know, you need to arm yeah. up, protect, protect yourselves, your family, and just protect other people because. Shit's going down. Um, but what's amazing about Kendo's one scene is how it creates this you know, amazing characterization. The performance is fantastic. The writing is elevated so much by the voice acting and the uh, um, uh, the physical performance. And Kendo's voice actor is probably my favorite yeah. because of that one scene. It, mm-hmm. He just, he sells all of the emotions so completely genuinely. I think what I also love is that it's where it's the one scene that really feels like it's good drama. It's because a lot of times voice actors, I think, we, you know, and even as doing the voice acting I've done, it's it's easy to fall into like this trap of just like, there's a voice that you do and you just do those voices and you just that. That's not really necessary. I mean, it's acting, but it's not the fleshed out kind of deeper, you know, Stanislavski inspired depth that, you know, you you can see in great character. I guess what I mean is like, the Kendo's performance in Resident Evil 2 Remake or the, the the actor doing that, you know, both physically and verbally, like that feels like a character actor performance. That feels like a Warren Oates character. That feels like Ernest Borgnine. That feels like, um, you know, like more recently be somebody like David Strathairn or Philip Seymour Hoffman, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. 
And it's just, there's a wonderful power in that. I think also what's really special is that, you know, we've, we've discussed a lot about, you know, the darkness of Resident Evil's story and its lore about how this is something that inflicts this horrible corporate monstrosity and biological terror on all these innocent people. And what's great in the remake is getting to actually really see down to just the family unit where it's just the father and daughter and that's it. The wife, the mother has been, is dead and returned and, you know, probably bit the, you know, bit the little girl and, you know, seeing that coming on the, that undoing in the way of like the Romero films have done it. The walking dead has occasionally done it quite well and other, you know, um, and just other kind of monster horror. I think it does it really yeah. well. Well, I think as well, like Kendo scene gives what was previously a faceless tragedy gives it a face we can appreciate, gives it a humanity and a tragedy that the previous games have not had. I mean, this is a father who's just had to kill his wife, presumably. His own daughter is about to turn and he's going to take care of her and then kill himself. Mm -hmm. That is a tragedy and it gives... The game itself, that one scene gives the game an emotional punch, which, to be honest, Resident Evil 2, the original, never had. Nope, never did. And to be honest, yeah, I, don't, I, I, I would argue even, I don't think there's been any Resident Evil game that's ever had quite that much impact as that one scene. Because what's really super interesting is that Resident Evil 6, the beginning, has an incredibly similar scene with Leon in it. And it just... Killing his friend. Uh, no, no, um... Leon in in the uh, university in Ivy University oh, right. runs across this dad who's looking for his daughter, and they do find her, but she's already infected. Yeah, and, and she turns the elevator. Yeah, and and then and then like kills him, and you know is like munching on her dad, and like you get the moment where she dies in the elevator before coming back, and and the the father is you know just. He's destroyed. Crying. Yeah, he's destroyed and he's crying over her her body, but it still doesn't have the same acting emotional gut punch as, as the one in Remake 2. It mm -hmm. feels like Remake I, 2's version of it just is like the one that makes it really successful. Probably the closest gut punch will probably be in Resident Evil 7 where Ethan has the vision with Jack Baker. True. Yeah. It's, like it's, oh, like it's, really it's, it's not carried yeah. because it's, on the one hand, yes, it's tragic what's happened to his family, but on the other hand, Jack's been trying to kill him the entire game that, at that point. Yes, Ethan can feel sorry for him, but it's tempered by the fact that he's still in a nightmare. He has to get out. Right. Yeah, There's there's an element of the this vision that he's seen versus the reality and also trying to to what is it uh reconcile the two sides that he's now seen of jack baker mm -hmm. whereas with kendo it's you're not seeing this arrogant man you're seeing a man broken by what's happened to him mm -hmm. and, and desperate. He's got no, so desperate he's got nothing left he's got nothing left his wife is dead his daughter is about to die and yeah he lashes out at leon but it's it's not a genuine anger. It's the anger of a broken man. Yeah, it's it's grief. 
It's grief, and it's also the, you were supposed to fix this, and you didn't. You know, it's kind of the blaming of the police force for not doing enough, which is, in essence, you know, I think the way, it's one of the reasons I feel it's a bummer that Leon never got to meet Irons and got to see that corruption of power, you know, to yeah. see... To, to to have that, I think, would have been an interesting thread to tie in because Kendo is basically, you know, the person he really needs to be expressing that to or the person that would be is really responsible for what happened is in many ways is Irons because Irons was mm -hmm. the one who wasn't keeping tap, you know, was just psychotic and murdering people and collecting items instead of actually trying to figure mm -hmm. out what was causing people to turn cannibalistic in the city. Um, yeah, funny enough, uh, he, he only meets him in Dark Side Chronicles. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Oh, because of the boss fight. Um, so it's like a right. scene. You you run into him, and he's like, he was about to like stuff the mayor's daughter, and he's like, hey, check this out. Oh god. I was about I was about to stuff her, and, okay. and Leon's like, yeah, Chief I bet Iron? he was gonna stuff her. Chief oh. Irons. Oh Ugh. god damn it! There, you did it. You're good. Or am I? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it's like he goes like, "Oh my God, Chief Irons!" and and uh, I love that moment because Claire goes like, "Wait, this is this your boss?" Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> it's like what? Like, oh no, this is this is bad. I don't like this. Yeah, I'm gonna ask but for a transfer that, right away. That that is the only time that that the characters interacted, but it is a shame that we. It's understandable because I kind of going to crisscross, but it would have been really cool. I kind of think it would have actually broken Leon if he had met Irons. <laughs> my, it would have, it would my have, illusions. My illusions. Yeah, it would have. It would have definitely have hurt him a little bit. It would have made a mark. Um, before I get to, we get too far away off of the Kendo thing. The one thing I did want to ask about the scene for the others of you, and as even those out there listening, I, for me at least, the moment of realizing that you know the kid's coming up and you're waiting for her to bite him. And then yeah. when she suddenly, cry, you know, wi Daddy. like whispers, Daddy. Yeah, that is just like, oh, that was when I felt my heart break. And like after that scene, I put the controller down, was like, I'm going to go get a sandwich. I need to I need a break. Yeah. No matter how many times I've actually seen that scene. I'm always half expecting the kid just to suddenly turn and jump mm -hmm. on her dad. Mm hmm. And the, and the fact that it doesn't go that way is so much worse. That would have, yeah. like, it's weird to think that him getting bit and killed by his daughter at that moment would have been the merciful thing to do. Um, interesting trivia note as well. Um, when, I when I was working on a Resident Evil Half-Life 2 mod called Resident Evil Extermination, we actually had a scene in a gun shop where it was going to be a father and son, and that scene was going to play out with the bite, actually. And then in a cutscene, wow. our protagonists were going to actually have to kill the kid. Um, wow. Yeah. So it's just interesting that they, well, Capcom, you got to it first. Bastards. That's rough, buddy. The fact that the kid, they didn't go for that, deepens that punch. Because I think. Yeah. Oh, certainly. I agree. Completely. Killed her father, it would have cheapened the whole scene. Mm hmm. Because then it's just another mm -hmm. scare. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a uh, horror rather than just tragedy. Yeah. It's the subversion of expectations, and it works so yeah. well. Mm -hmm. That's why one scene works extremely well. It does. So anyway, uh, I guess after that is just uh, it's just Marvin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get the fun one. Marvin. So Marvin in Marvin's always been a complicated character because he's appeared in so many games. 
in from... such small capacity. Exactly. He's always been like in one or two scenes. So to kind of just go to the original Marvin, it's just basically you meet him in the squad room. He's been infected. He's dying. He tells you to get out. And somehow this guy who could barely get his head up to talk is able to follow you, lock the door, and go to the other end of the office. <laughs> I yeah, never, that, that is pretty I, impressive. That is impressive. That, I never thought of that. Yeah. Whereas Marvin in the remake, he's a lot sterner, especially to Leon. Yeah. Well, you can kind of see it as um, he's probably the last cop still alive in the precinct other than Leon and Elliot. Well, formerly, Form, yeah. formally, yeah, yeah. No, there's a, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, if you think about it, he's seen God knows how many fellow officers get killed, how many civilians have gotten killed, and he's presumably one of the last officers of any of uh, higher ranks still alive. So the fact that you're seeing him, he's already pale when you meet him for the first time. Mm-hmm. I love that detail. Yeah, like it's it's really cool. He's going into shock, presumably. He's clutching at a stomach wound or close enough to the stomach. Yeah, somewhere in the abdomen. He's been Christian Slatered. But you're kind of you're seeing this man on the verge of death, and he suddenly sees there's a survivor, and there's it's taken everything he has to keep himself upright, to keep himself awake. And to help this person. And I mean, like, the fact that, yes, he's stern with Leon, but that goes back to what we said about Leon. Leon is a good cop. He's a first responder. He is going to be the one trying to help people, to help them escape, to get them to a position where they can be helped. And you see that straight away where he's saying to Marvin, I'm going to get you to a hospital. And straight away, Marvin shoots him down and almost barks at him because he knows if Leon tries to help him, Leon is going to get killed, and he doesn't want that. And uh, yeah. when he, yeah, when you see him with Claire, yes, he is more gentle. He's more like the friendly police officer rather than a police lieutenant, because she is a civilian. Now he he knows. She's uh, Chris Redfield's sister. He doesn't know how she can take care of himself. He's in a position where he can't help her get out of the precinct, but he can help her however he can. So mm-hmm. that's with the knife, the walkie-talkie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and also then... knows that it, it seems to be easier to convince her of how bad he is because she's like, no, no, we got to get you help. And he goes, we, yeah. we know how this is going to go. And I mean, like that that's more to the fact that Claire might be a bit more matter-of-fact, whereas Leon's first response is to be the police officer and to help people. And take charge he of the process, to, too. Yeah, and, and yeah. he wants to stubbornly, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna save you. I'm going to help, yeah, and help I mean, like, my, my boss. Yeah, and I mean, like, it speaks a lot to Marvin's character and the writers. They're able to convey this sense of, I'm going to die. Don't waste your efforts getting out of here trying to help me. Save yourself. And they're able to do that in two very different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was well done. So, I also like that that it feels like you get to kind of have him more as a an early partner. Yeah, I love than, that. Yeah. Than in the original. Because like mm-hmm. he gives you a knife. He he's there with the notebook trying to decipher it. He's going to contact you on the radio. He is a partner and he does a lot more than the original. But at the end of the day, like we've said previously in the last podcast, there's a moment where Leon, uh, Leon or Claire finds Marvin has fallen asleep on the bench. And when you wake him up, he kind of, he almost snarls. He almost growls. Yeah, especially in Leon's version too. Yeah, he seems further gone uh, in Leon's game. And you're kind of wondering, is he starting to turn? Is he using every strength he has left to keep himself from turning? And it's it's basically when you're getting out of the RPD the first time that Marvin's gone. And mm-hmm. it's just this... It's almost like he's realized, you're getting out of here. He can let go. Yeah. yeah. He's done his and job. Quick question. I, this is something I just I, I have forgotten about. Um, is it clear that he closes the door from the the statue behind behind you as you you get uh, you get down on the A scenario, or is it just a we don't know why the door closes? It's just a game convenience. I think it's more of an automatic thing. Yeah, I think it's kind of like there might be a switch in the step or something. Okay. Yeah. I was just I was just curious about that because I really can't see Marvin who spent. Most of the game at this point now, sitting on a bench, half dead, getting up and reaching for three dials or three medallions to take them out. Mm. I can't see him doing that. Yeah, I, I can't either. Yeah. I was just, I was just curious. It might have been on a timer. Yeah, just such a weird thought. Yeah, well, it just, it, it did seem like something that was automatically closing behind the character wants to go through it yeah it's it's a, as i asked is you know like is it just a game convenience you know it's it's to say all right we're going to conveniently hit a trigger here and, uh, there goes the door i mean it's considering how difficult it is to get in there i could see it as something as a quick escape true for yeah irons. as well yeah i was about to say also because it's so clean in that room it doesn't look that dusty although it really should be especially with all the books in there um yeah, it's pretty pretty possible that Irons has been using that room quite a bit. It's the weirdest place. It it's is. It's like a little office. Yeah. But it leads it's, from the escape so room. But like it what it does is it leads down into the generator room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which in and of itself is accessible from the parking lot in the RPD. Which would imply but, uh, that like, one could take that route and then go into the elevator. Because it's not, yeah. you know, it's not locked by the power system like it is in the garage. And I think yeah, speaking of the like, sewer. H- how not. do people normally go into the generator room? I mean, would yeah. you sometimes need to go down there for maintenance since it's like the RPD? But mm-hmm. I would say probably the most likely situation is you go down through the garage. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still weird. Yeah. It's still weird. But, but again, but that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, but that's kind of what I was saying about it being like a quick escape for Irons. Because yeah. like if he ever if he ever got caught for the corruption or whatever, he'd probably want a quick way to get out, get to the car park. And it's time for me to scuttle away. But so I I think that actually uh, covers the characters because um, yeah, 
Uh, I think maybe we should uh, just Talk maybe move on to um, to gameplay flow. Uh, I don't think we have a huge amount of time left, all things considered. Like maybe half hour. Yeah, That's thereabouts. It. Yeah. So uh, let's yeah. just uh, dive into uh, the gameplay flow, and well, mainly like layout flow and puzzles because it's it's some pretty interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, Chris, like, did you you had uh, some specific thoughts? on that or um i i got a lot of my notes um but uh i would i'm, I'm gonna defer to someone else for now just also because okay. i'm having to i'm also like i'm still i'm still transitioning from the character stuff so right. i'm like okay i have right. left brain left brain okay okay well uh paul go for it because i think you had some thoughts about layout. yeah i mean like i'm gonna tie in the layout and the flow of the game to the puzzles as well because yeah oh yeah it's it's inescapable that's in my notes yeah. too it's it's connected I mean, the original Resident Evil 2, you're going back and forth between point A and point B to point C, and it's just you're going back and forth. You're going, you're literally going from one wing of the RPD to another to pick up one item to take it back to another part of the RPD. Yep. And what I love now about the remake is that everything flows much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they 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 condensed the some of the positions of those puzzles, like either on like, okay, your first pass through the library is going to give you the book that you can use in the statue uh, to get the 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 red jewel like right away, you know, like things they 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 understand where you're going from point A to point B, so they make the item item placements really clear for the uh, to to. There's more point going into. There's more thought going into puzzle creation and puzzle solutions. I mean, yeah. like, but also uh, puzzle wise, the art room is not really that important anymore. No, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I mean, like looking at the flow of the game and how you're inadvertently solving puzzles as you go on. Um, in the B scenario, when you get around to the side of the RPD and you get in, you find the bolt cutters. Mm-hmm. And so straight like, right, away, you're, right at the gate. Yeah. Yeah, straight away you're cutting through the uh, doors, opening up rooms that in the first run you're not getting into until like at least a third into the game mm-hmm. it's about like 20 minutes in I, 20, I 20 minutes yeah yeah it's 20 minutes yeah i mean you... i mean when you're speed running it's it's 20 is around the time that you're actually going to fight burke and one but yeah uh, on an average playthrough it would be yeah. probably about that and so it's like yeah the just having the bolt cutters straight away changes a lot of of the speed and flow of mm-hmm. going through the RPD at that point. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You're quite likely to find an item you're going to need for a puzzle as you're going through the area towards that puzzle. Yeah, it's never it's never a case now that you know you find the puzzle you need to find item A, item B, item C, and they're all distributed all over the place. It's now a case of you find item A, you can combine it with item B, and insert it into slot C. Mm-hmm. And that's more... And con- yeah, the puzzle's done. Exactly. Because like, it's like you don't have to go back through four or five rooms to solve anything. Because it's like almost like the way they make the flow is like you continue onward and unlock a door, which then means you actually get this 
door unlocked from the other side that it leads to a specific back path back to your save point to go either pick up the pick up something from the item box or actually be on the way to a room that you finally have the key item for. Like uh, one of the things that's really interesting is how the bolt cutters thing brings up how you then get the valve handle that lets you get to the star's office. And the bolt yep. cutters allow you to go from valve handle, then to the west wing to get the um, the detonator. Then the valve handle gets you through to the star's office with the battery to then take that immediately to the library, go up, put in the bomb, and move forward to the the um, uh, yeah. statue. It's like exactly. It's a very. It's a clear one, two, three, four, rather than having to jump back and forth between points one, three, four, two, you know, etc. Yeah, I it's mean, it's a little less spread out. Like the original, having uh, for Leon, it had the four chest plugs to unlock the the door, and yeah, then Claire has has the, four the three stones. stones. She has three stones, but one of them's broken in half. Yeah, so it's still it's still getting four pieces basically. Yeah, yeah, it's still the action of getting four things, and those are spread out throughout the entire RPD in and yeah. in the basement. Mm -hmm. You're trying and, to find them, and it's just taking so long because. You're going from room to room to room to room, and it's loading yeah. every time. Whereas yeah. now it's kind of like I said, as you're going through the RPD or any other area in the game, you're finding an item that you're going to need for a puzzle almost as soon as you find the item and you're going to come across yeah. the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. Like in the original, you're m much more likely to find one of the, the stones or the plugs, uh, dump it in the item box, and then maybe like 15 minutes later, you'll be able to pull it out again to, to put them with the rest of them. Exactly. I it's, mean, it's like... it, it, it feels a lot longer, even though a comparative length of the game, they're both around the same amount. But I like, suppose, well, that's because of loading screens as well. I yeah, was about to mention, it. yeah, the loading screens of the door opening, man, just getting rid of that one element just gives them so much more time. Because I remember seeing yeah. speedruns on YouTube where it'd be like, hey, I beat Resident Evil 2 in 38 minutes. It's like, wait, what? And then you watch the clip and realize, <laughs> oh, you've uh, edited out all the door opening sequences. Okay, that's not yeah, really. Right. Yeah. Um, but but uh, that just that's just it, though. Um, the remake now actually makes speedruns far more accessible. Mm hmm. Because you're yeah. able to understand where items are going to be, what you need, where they are, where they are when you need them. Mm -hmm. And it's not a case yeah. of you're wasting time getting from one wing to the other wing back and forth several times to solve one puzzle. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's it, clearly built for speedrunners in mind this time. Yeah, yeah it, which is interesting because I actually was just watching that clip I showed you guys from the Toko Toko video and the directors and producers of the Resident Evil 2 remake, you know, they're it's this is after the game had come out and they were working on the Ghost Survivors DLC. They're kind of sitting around talking and saying, like, they were actually kind of surprised that so many people ended up speedrunning it. And they said that mm -hmm. there was definitely a lot of there definitely was a lot of balance that they were trying to figure out. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's the achievement for beating the game without ever using the item box. And. I don't think I don't honestly think it's possible to do that in the original game, but in Resident Evil, no, Resident you Evil have 2, to. No, yeah, I but in the so. and in the and in uh, the remake, I did it on the first try. I mean, obviously, I'd done Hardcore S Plus by then, but I mean, yeah. it's it's definitely no, but once, you, once you know the pattern, mm -hmm. you can yeah. you can predict what you need you're to pick up, what you you're don't. able to plan your route. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're able to cut what you don't need, which is. I find also just really impressive, just given uh, to continue on to what you're saying about flow and everything is about like the puzzle aspect. 
there are a lot more puzzles. It feels like mm-hmm. in the remake than there are in the original. At the very well, least, they've also m- caught original puzzles as well. But they've replaced them with something because, like, when yeah. most of Resident Evil Two is inventory object puzzles, where basically you get an item and you use the item somewhere. And what's impressive yeah. about Resident the remake is that kind of they've really added more dynamic puzzles. I mean, yeah, I mean the electronic pieces mm. one is the electronic part one is, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Like, uh, but you're I skip also, it most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> we were also looking at the um, chess puzzle in the sewers, where yes, yeah. you have to. It's it's a comprehension puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's also trial and error. Yeah, in some ways, and it also depends on if you're you're if you are able to recognize what all the chess pieces are. Because sometimes, you know, that's been my it's problem. Kind of with... a, it's a twofold because it has the gates and the pattern of, of unlocking the gates with the chess pieces, and then getting all of them out, and then on top of that, using them in the correct place to yeah. unlock the door. So it's yes. kind of a, like a two-part puzzle. Or mm-hmm. you know, I would actually say the entire sewer is one giant puzzle. It's just yeah. You're getting parts from each section to complete it. In some respects, that's I feel that's kind of true. And especially with the way you have to then strategically navigate the, the combat as well. It's, again, laid out really well, like the RPD, where it has these these doors that you will open as you're continuing on through the sewer. So then mm-hmm. it makes backtracking incredibly quick because it's like oh well now now i've gone the long way i've i've opened up the path i can get back really quick and and that that is a thing that they started doing in seven and then they really really hammered in and and gotten it to a really good place in in react to you're no longer backtracking it's you've you've opened up a shortcut which is a fantastic thing yeah I love those things. The loops are so good. Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. Yeah. And the only place that doesn't have it is is really the lab. Because. Well, the authority. Yeah. They've made the jump. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of a loop with um, the the east wing where uh, if you go up all the way through, you you can unlock the door to get back to the. Yeah. Yeah. The reception safe room. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like 100% necessary, but like it's Mm -hmm. nice. Mm hmm. Like the whole thing is just—it's very, very well put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's. I'm trying to find. There's a. Yeah, I mean, it, I found in my notes here. Yeah, it's like I, I love how the original Resident Evil Two does feel like there's this momentum that carries you through the journey when you get like really engaged in like the kind of the story and the escape and that aspect of the scenario. But I mean, yeah. I, as an adventure game, I feel like the remake is just a blast because like the areas just flow together so seamlessly. Um, it's nonstop action. In some respect, yeah, because it's like there's yeah. there's always something you're able to do. So the it makes I mean, because I mean, we've been playing Co-Veronica X, or at least you know I've, I've been playing. You guys been <laughs> you, you guys have been helping me through that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's helping you with sarcastic comments. It it does helping help. helping you calm down. Yes, but it's uh, sarcastic comments. But oh, the. But it's just the they've found this wonderful way to just streamline things, so you're not just having to do this long like I mean, what does it take to get from saving Rodrigo to back to the, you know, and getting the piano roll all the way back to the old mm-hmm. residence. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's You're like, talking what? about going through three sections at least easily. It's, it's, it's constant, constant dead ends. Yeah, exactly. Constant backtracking. Exactly. Yeah. 
it's it's a mess. And and uh, and I mean, God, we've talked about how Resident Evil Zero has a lot of that too. It's a uh, it's something that yeah. they because when you go back to the original three games, and especially like when you even have like how the remake the first game remake um, did that great job where you go through the underground, then up into Lisa's room and then into the old cabin and use that. That was a, that was a really good loop. I really, really mm. liked that about the remake. Also that like the, the, the new door that opens up behind the painting. Yes. And then, oh, and then yeah. you, can, you, you connect that to the little, the little graveyard and then the graveyard connects to the gallery. So then you, there were like the RPD in the remake, there's a, a much wider amount of loops that you can make so then there's multiple ways to sometimes get to places and that that can really speed things up for you because you're you're judging like if i'm coming from this way do i need to go need to take this path to get to this room or should i go around the other way this way mm. mm -hmm. and, this, and that, that's super interesting to me and thankfully that's something that's been like that's probably been hammered into capcom at the moment is that you cannot build a good game on backtracking. It's it's going to bog down the game. It's going to slow things down. It's going to take up resources for the department. So mm -hmm. the fact that you're able to create a loop then not only speeds up the game itself, but gives you options then because you can create a situation where if you're looping back, you're going to find something that wasn't there originally like you know mm -hmm. looping back in the rpd you're coming across zombies coming in through a new window mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. it, it makes it makes backtracking not feel like a lengthy chore mm -hmm. it's not uh castlevania lament of innocence which uh oh that makes cvx look like nothing by comparison like this, is, make, this is good it makes exploration fun mm -hmm. yeah it, it makes you more interested and and excited to go through the areas because there's usually something going on. Yeah. And and that brings up two other things I wanted to touch on. I mean, the first is that, I mean, to, to springboard off, is that by it being fun means that they really have figured out what their, kind of what the timing rhythm is supposed to be from a gameplay perspective, like how often they want players to be making decisions, like, you know, in the moment. Because when you have the long stretches of backtrack, and I mean, in CVX, you know, I basically like, you know, you would bring up a point, Vanessa, and then I would be, I'll be able to say like, <laughs> oh yeah, you've got like, six whole minutes to go ahead and talk about it before I get back to the next area, go for it. And like that really shouldn't be happening with an adventure game no. because you're supposed to be enjoying this adventure. And what that also comes back to is by understanding that sense of rhythm is it also just overall, I think speaks to one of the things I gush about the most about Resident Evil 2's remake is just the pacing overall. You know, like it feels like all the story bits hit where they need to. No area really outstays its welcome. And the puzzles and combat balance are really solid. I mean, there's some bullshit with Mr. X when you're trying to, you know, get the jack to work in the <laughs> library. And it's like, oh, this fucker's going to bash me in the head. God damn it. But even those challenges are kind of worth fighting through. Like, I still enjoy yeah. it. And I still, yeah. I still, and they just, they both, and both the puzzles and combat guide you forward and allows you to, to, to keep moving. Like, I love that momentum. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I'm, I'm I'm sad about is that compared to the original, each character doesn't kind of get that unique area to them in in like the B scenario. Yeah, a B scenario specific like, one. Yeah. Yeah, like B scenario in the original had had the extra uh, part of the 
uh, marshalling yard to mm-hmm. get the the lift started. Oh, and I love then, that. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it had the extra uh, power room and the the level in the lab, and like the mm-hmm. train area because mm-hmm. you have to get the train started. That's where you finally fight Mister X, like as a super tyrant. And, and these were like story exclusive areas to the second scenario or the B scenario, but like in remake two, the only only place you get is just the beginning of the RPD. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's it. Yep. Well, like the only thing you actually get for Leon then is the super t- tyrant fight. Yeah. Which is Claire actually never gets it. <laughs> right. Well, and Claire's yeah. thanking her lucky stars. <laughs> so <laughs> I think he's that, a little so I th- annoying to fight. So I think Arius kind of leads us into our next point, which was um, the combination of the dead factory and the sewers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I always like the vacant factory was like one of my favorite areas, and I couldn't explain why when I was younger, and I think mm. it's just because it feels, uh, really desolate. And I think it was almost ninety-five percent of it was just because the soundtrack for that area is intensely eerie. Yeah. And really weird. And I noticed that when they use those tracks in the sewer in, in like Remake 2, if you use the uh, soundtrack swap, it's incredibly cool and it still works incredibly well in that area. Yeah. But I think like by consolidating the two areas into one now in the remake, you're creating this idea that this is the epicenter of the outbreak. I mean, granted, yeah. you find the umbrella soldiers, um, you find their bodies. But when you actually think about this is the area where you find the G adults, this is the area where you find a lot of bodies, and it's an area where you find a lot of biomass clinging to the walls. And it's it's like a tumor. Yeah. It's that that one hallway that is completely new to the remake is incredibly creepy. Yeah, I mean it's just it's is this... it's so weird. Is this something so they've good. secreted, or is this just like stuff yeah. that they've broken down? Is this decaying corpses or something? But like it wiggles. Yeah, that stuff yeah. is breathing and and moving the entire time, it, and it's, it's like, what are you? Gunk? It's like a tumorous mass. It's it's good old fashioned. It's good old fashioned late eighties, early nineties anime body horror. That's that's yeah. what it is. It, yeah. It's like a video game version of society. Mm. <laughs> Fuck yes, it is. God damn it. Yeah. Fucking shunting. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I just yeah. saw a photo set of Mad, Screaming Mad George's effects for that. God damn. Sorry. <laughs> that just made me really happy to think about that. Movie. No, that, that, that's but very... I mean, it's, it's disturbing as well. And it just creates yeah. a sense that this is the area where it all went down. This is where Birkin release the virus when he killed the umbrella soldiers and it's it's a very direct path like the the vacant factor kind of felt like it was creating this buffer in the original between the sewers and the lab so it's like you've got this vacant factory which also is the marshalling yard and then you take that down and then you get into the lab and there's the cable car that is an indeterminate amount of distance between there and the sewers Right. And let's not forget See, the train elevator. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. The tra- I'm so glad they found a way to make that actually make a little more sense now with yeah. the way that it's actually the front that now is featured as the front of the train uh, yeah. in the remake. But um, I was going to quickly mention about the Dead Factory thing as well that I thought it was interesting in the original how it also implied you were moving kind of towards the outskirts of the city because I remember noticing that when you you're on the platform for the the train of the train evader is that it um you can you can't see any city skyline in the dis- in the sky it, it looks you know, like an no... industrial yeah. area right like this is this is kind of like a you know the industrial portion that's kind of off to the side you know near the train they're, yard they're or something moving, yeah they're they're moving you towards this the city limits and that was like something that sherry mentions in the original that the umbrella chemical plant was near the city limits mm. right right so i don't know like also, our secret underground lab is also near the city limits, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, also, like, my little pedantic note, is it vacant factory because the dead factory is the one in three? Yeah, it's the vacant factory because the dead factory is the nickname given by the umbrella workers because of all the corpses, the test subjects coming in, I think. Interesting. I always thought it was just because it was a disused front, basically. Because you know, because yeah, like, like the dead, the dead factory in three is is like the dead factory because that's where we're dumping all our corpses. Yep. Yeah, you got yeah. and the in one there in, and yeah, and the one and two is just a vacant, vacant. factory because yeah. it's our little our little front, I guess. Yeah. Our terrible. Well, you know, front. We may, we may occasionally let a film crew shoot a stupid directed video action movie in there every once in a while. I mean, I did I did think it was interesting that some of the uh, development for the remake still had that. Yeah, mm. but Chris, just go and, back there to your joke. And if the film's really bad, we'll make sure they never get out of the factory alive. <laughs> oh man, could they? Oh, so that's why Godfrey House stopped making films after '96. I'm kidding. I still, there you go. I still wonder why there's only like, again, just it's a tiny vacant factory. There's two hallways in an office. I know. Oh god, it's so bitty. Yeah, I which, which is of... why I don't feel so bad about losing it because it was never like a really fully fleshed out area. Mm-mm. Yeah, it felt more like the administrative was... offices for like a steel works or something or something that like people aren't going to be working in there all day. It's just maybe one or two people and mm-hmm. the workers are going to punch their time cards as they're going in and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um... It's like, I love it, but I understand why it got reworked the way that it was yeah or not uh removed, just kind of like incorporated into the sewers mm. it, it also continues like the the feeling that the lab is still underground yeah because you're just taking the the cable car directly to the lab whereas mm-hmm. like in the original you're kind of going from the sewers out and then back down yeah, that always was a little funky to me. It felt You're going yeah. under very... the sewers into like deeper into the earth type of a thing. Yeah, it's 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 a much more clear progression. I've always wondered how 1.5 scenario was going to handle that ge- geographically, because as far as I know, I've never yeah. seen like the platforms. I know my okay, so my understanding was really late in 1.5's development. The train evader from the Marshalling Yard is, I think, was done. Because I think right. I've seen 1.5 footage that shows a version of it. I so, think so. Because you I go think... to platforms uh, 13 and uh, 8 sixteenths. Right. And the, that takes uh, you to the umbrella. <laughs> but the, uh, uh, just to quickly, I guess, to wrap up my thought about that is it does make me kind of, 
you know, I've always wondered, like, that was a frustration I had with Resident Evil 2 when it initially came out was like, I remembered all these scenes of all these industrial areas from 1.5 that never got used, all these factories, warehouses, parking garages, etc. And it was just, it was, it, I think what was kind of cool, yeah. the remake condensing that, I think helps really take off the, the burn of that, because with the, the dead factory or the vacant factory, it's just kind of like, eh, it's like the Marshalling Yard is just like a... Like it will throw you a bone, but it is—it is definitely like a pacing thing, and it yeah. does help, I yeah. guess, with the B scenario. But yeah, it—it it was consolidated well, I felt. Yeah, um, it's like I still have a lot of personal affection for the vacant factory, but it completely makes sense why it isn't in the remake. Right. It's—it's kind of like how um, I understand. It's not a big loss. It's yeah, it's like losing the uh, the other side of the streets for the B scenario as well because I was really liked that you got you know those two different starting points on the other side either side of the I, explosion. I miss I miss the street honestly. I still do too, but I at the um, very uh, least ma mainly because it feels like such a like. Okay, now you're here. Right. But also timeline wise, it it should be the reverse. The second scenario character should take way longer to actually get to the station because the first scenario character has been there for like 20 minutes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. before they run into you. Mm -hmm. it, it, second scenario should have had should have had the street. Yeah, but Vanessa, that makes sense, and uh, yes, we all yes, know common sense it. doesn't exist anymore. Right. <laughs> My, bad. My bad. But um. I mean, that would be the biggest area that's been cut from the game, though, is the vacant factory. The streets... I can see their line of thinking. You've already run through the streets with, say, Leon. You don't need to do it again as Claire. Which is bullshit, because the way I see it, you could have had Claire or Leon get onto a bus, direct bus, and zombies are trying to break in and if you spend too long on the bus they're going to break in and mm. kill you mm -hmm. it, it could have just been it, it wouldn't have to be the same street i mean it couldn't be the same street it would be a different a different street that leads you to the other the other gate of the rpd mm. and and for me it's just like it's a pacing issue because then it makes me feel like i'm actually taking too long to get to the rpd so naturally i hope the other person ha has already gotten here and they're fine i mean for me that's a storytelling pacing thing because i mean otherwise i i love how they reworked the streets in in like the main oh, mostly in claire scenario because i mean leon doesn't really get it but uh, having having those those streets to the the orphanage is incredibly cool, but yeah. I just wish there had also been a street for second scenario. Yeah. Oh well, it's I, regrets. To, yeah. Regrets. regrets. Yeah. You have a few. I can see yeah. it from it a happens. time uh, time perspective as well, as in they probably didn't have a lot of time. Um, mm. just for develop development or whatever. Yeah, and that's right, because that was something I was bringing up before uh, last yeah. time on the last episode was, yeah, just from a resource management perspective, I mean, that's really, it's challenging. The amount of time it takes to build just one asset today is crazy, because yeah. it used to, you know, used to be that, like, you would have, I think, like, what was it, on the original game, the original Resident Evil 1, there was only, like, four environmental artists, I think, and then we're talking, mm -hmm. like, modelers, textures, all that sort of stuff, and I think now, like you essentially have to hire like a team for like one area and that team yeah. is like yeah, is like 10, I think, is like 10 people cuz i mean they they went through like three different versions 
before they figured out how they wanted to even do the remake. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was like I mean, the fixed camera angles. There was over the shoulder. There was over the shoulder, and then like close. The remake first was always going to be a big gamble for them as well, and I could see why they didn't want to invest too much in it. Mm-hmm. Just get the bare minimum in and see how successful it is, and if it is successful, we can expand on it in other games. Right, which it seems, hopefully, fingers crossed, is what they're doing with the Resident Evil 3 remake, where they're actually yeah. able to finally take what they learned and move it forward. Because, I mean, if, if I may, they're, you know, we're getting pretty close to the time here. Um, yeah, we are. And yeah. just, just about done. Yeah, but it, kind of a way to sort of wrap this up a bit is, or at least some of my notes, is how we didn't get a chance to really talk about how Resident Evil 7 affected this remake and how, like, it's on the same engine. We, we talked briefly, obviously. Yeah, that's another day. Yeah, but... <laughs> You know what? Maybe we should just do like a, a Resident Evil Seven. That's what I was episode. kind of thinking. That's what I'm thinking. And just save but, it for that. But the um, what's kind of interesting though is one of the things I saw in the, the uh, interview with these, you know, or I guess the the documentary about these uh, these Capcom directors is they mentioned how Resident Evil Seven really had this kind of positive effect. It felt like on Resident Evil Two, the re- remake yeah. of Resident Evil Two, because. It reminded them also of the original game and back to his roots and how, like they mentioned, it becomes kind of a case of context because the original Resident Evil 2 was intended to be more broad in appeal, kind of less horror because they felt that in ways the first Resident Evil game was kind of like too scary. So it was harder to make it sell with like a wider audience right. and things like that. And admittedly, I mean, the original game was at the time was terrifying. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I always thought the original was scarier. Oh yeah, I I still I very much agree to that um, to this day. It's still and... one of the most chilling games. Mm-hmm. It's a not just in the franchise, man. but just like in general, it's one of the most chilling games ever made. Exactly, and so they say that like what they felt was Resident Evil Seven being so popular, and the fans really saying yes, this horror is what we want. We want to get scared. We want more intensity and viscera and things like that. Um, they felt that in a way the remake of Resident Evil 2 was kind of like trying to bridge that gap between the kind of more broad action appeal of the original Resident Evil 2 and get back to the horror of the original Resident Evil, which Resident Evil 7 had been able to say like, hey, this is this is cool. We could do this now. And yep. um, and so what's kind of cool about that is overall, I mean, we're talking with just with the areas and all we've discussed today with the character, like so much about the characters is that it's added this really grounded like darkness to the atmosphere. You know, I, I like Vanessa, you were saying earlier about how it's not about realism, it's about believability that you can buy yeah. into that, you know, and it just really, they have, they've done such an amazing job with, you know, figuring out the tech to do the seamless environments, you know, they've, they've refined the pursuer aspect from seven and they've just, they've created just, Honestly, one of the best video games I think I've ever played. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really nice how they they took all the stuff that was working about seven as a throwback to one, and then applied it to remake two, which also then became a throwback to the original, since it was a remake. But like, I think yeah. it all feels like a Resident Evil game. But I think if you ever just go back to the roots of what made something successful, instead of just add on to it you're going to understand what worked best and how you can work from that point resident mm-hmm. evil 1 worked because it was a relatively small environment the mansion you're trapped in there you need to find a way out and you're shown straight away that you can't just go out the front door you're going to get killed and working on 7 they've kind of realized 
what's always made Resident Evil work is that it's the small horror. It's not the world ending horror. It's the what's in the dark shadows of the world, the tiny mm-hmm. corners of the planet. That's yeah, what it's, it's more personal. Yeah, it's what create, and I think the fact that we were even able to talk for as long as we did about these characters and about how they executed the 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 emotional side of that, the gameplay sort of informs that intimacy that you feel with yeah. that uh, with those with those NPCs. Yep. And I I think that um, actually might be it for today then, since it's it's almost two and a half hours. Yep. And uh, I, I, did I just hear your door open and food getting yeah, delivered to you? Yeah, I, yeah, I think you did. <laughs> that was my door. So um, thank you for joining us this evening. Um, we hope you found this enjoyable. Yes. Uh, you can find us all uh, at Mystery Death Theater 5000, is it? 5000? Yes. yes. Okay. We have, Mystery two, we Death have two extra Theater. thousands. Two extra thousands for all of the death, where we have been... Uh, Alpine, Resident Evil, Code Veronica X, and in the future we'll be doing more Resident Evil games. Admittedly, uh, most of those five thousand have been Chris's attempts and dying. Yes. Uh, Even- eventually, eventually we'll also die. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to make a spreadsheet for that. Yeah, uh, and uh, you can also find us on on Twitter. We're around. And uh, yeah. what are we going to do for the next episode? Would you like to again give a brief preview? Uh, I'm gonna throw it and say, uh, let's do RE7. Hell yeah. Alrighty then. Yeah. <laughs> I, I recently replayed it. It was recently the third anniversary, and uh, there is a lot to talk about with, with Resident Evil 7. Mm-hmm. So, uh, why don't you join us next time? If you guys out there listening have have any questions or if you have any topics that you would like us to cover on this podcast eh, let us know drop us a line we will have an email eventually we will yes Um, for now for now you can reach us on twitter yes yes you can find me on um twitter at castle rook blogs and uh me at chris jabberwock um as well as also, yeah, as, as I said before, the Mystery Death uh, Mystery Death Theater 5000 YouTube channel. And me at Vanessa Sketch. All right. Thank you. So uh, thank have a good you. evening. Yeah, thank you all for listening. Yeah, and I guess you better go eat now because you're probably starved. Ha. Ah.